0: G'day, here at The Regenerative Journey, part of our goal is to educate our followers on the benefits of knowing where their food comes from, and the knock-on effects this can have on our health, our environment and our future generations. Understanding the connection has never been more important, and in the spirit of this endeavour, we have teamed up with Highland Beef Pastoral Company, a grass-fed beef supply chain servicing the growing US grass-fed consumer market, who I'm excited to announce are our season six show sponsors. Essentially, this Australian-based business places cattle on their member graziers' properties, at no expense to the farmer, and provides competitive returns for every kilo of beef produced, allowing their graziers to focus on improving their businesses in a capital-free and risk-free environment. Highland beef graziers are some of the best grass and animal managers in the country. Livestock are humanely and lovingly cared for while on their farms, and customers are guaranteed a very high-quality, regeneratively managed, grass-fed and finished product, with full transparency from farm to plate. If you're interested in finding out more about this program, visit hbpastoral.com.au forward slash Charlie Arnott. I'm so
1: much more now a case of that health and exercise is as much about exercising the brain and the mind as the physical body. And for me, that would have been all hoodoo voodoo as would have your biodynamics course (laughs) not that many years ago. All those interlinkages and it's old world type stuff that... We think it's all new and fantastic in a lot of ways, but it's all, you know, it's been there for centuries and centuries. But the reason it's been there is because it has a role and a place and can be very, very important. And it's been a big part of my road to better health. That was Cherie
2: Gooding and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey.
0: G'day and welcome back to The Regenerative Journey. This week, I'll be speaking with, well, actually spoke with her a couple of months ago now, but you'll get to listen to Cherie Gooding. Before I bang on about Cherie and the wonderful things she's been doing, um, I just want to have a quick touch on what we're doing here at Hanamino. You guys will be listening to this, well, if you listen to it in, the, in its first week of release, it'll be sort of mid-November, Um and uh, others may be listening to this years down the track, let's hope. Um, however, what's happening at Hanamina in the last couple of couple of weeks has been pretty exciting, especially last week. Um, I was um, had the pleasure of uh, having Stuart Andrews and Megan Andrews here um, of Natural Seconds Farming fame. <clears throat> we, um, I'd, I'd interviewed Stuart. Oh, God, was that... Was March last year because Stuart um, and his father Peter had done a did a um, workshop here with Town Park Training, and I think I must have on um, the the day after the train the four day natural sequence farming workshop we had here in the shooting shed, and um, after a little bit of practical activity in the paddock and on the afternoons um, I grabbed Stuart and we had a chat and it was um, and subsequently a an episode um, I can't remember which one you'll have to have a look and see and check out all the other wonderful guests we've had in the last couple of years so Stuart was here. Um, he was on the way down to Victoria to um, to do a workshop down there, <clears throat> and he said, "Look, I'll, I'll drop in and we'll do a bit of work." And it was—I can't tell you how exciting it was because having done the workshop, which I totally you know, endorse, you know, suggest, um, encourage you to go and do, get on the Town Park Training website and check out where the events are happening. Um, having hosted it and did it there, the whole early last year, March, um, made a lot of sense. Did a little bit of prac stuff. Um, didn't do as much because the gear I'd borrowed broke, so that wasn't a good start. However, just having Stuart here and, and having Stuart McWilliam also, um, who was here, he's actually here today doing some more work um, with his little excavator. I think it's a five-tonner. Um, he is just seeing it in action, the contouring and the the... the, the joining dams together, just fascinating stuff. I mean, we we got out there with the the laser level, worked a few levels out after understanding what we wanted to do, where there was sort of water we wanted to move or capture or manage. And it was fascinating how, you know, whether it's coincidence or skill or just luck or, or something, you know, how you know, spots that Stuart sort of decided, you know, or, or, or suggested we do, then that linked up with some other dam somewhere and I was like, really, that's cool. They're on the same level. And anyway, so lots of big plans. Rubber on the road, seeing it in action, seeing water run through contours. We had a lot of rain since um, in last week. Seeing that water run, seeing how the spillways work, um, understanding, literally looking at the hydrology, looking at the water flowing. It's an amazing year for that. We certainly are testing... Everything, um, And the idea, one of the ideas behind doing it now is that we've got a good a good, good time to see it in action with the rain and the water flowing. But also it's, you know, it's given us a impetus because I'm just looking at this water running down the creeks into the neighbours and into the Boorah River and then the Lachlan River and then out west into sort of never-never. So I'm thinking how, you know, I need to be able to capture that. Um, and doing it now means that when it stops raining, and it will, um, and we enter enter an extended dry period that that um, the rain we're capturing now and the rain that we'll capture you know every every time it rains um, will be utilised much more effectively on land here. It won't stop all the creeks from running, I don't think. Um, it won't make all the dams dry. Actually, it, it'll actually keep the levels and those um, maintain them because by linking dams together, literally you know around contours around the side of hills and things, or just having contours either side of a dam. Um, we increase the surface area massively um, for for um, uh, uh, for the, for the, the to, to create a, a storage a storage and slow release um, and improve hydrology. Anyway, that's that's a bit of a bang on, but it was just fascinating and, and really appreciated Stuart's time, both Stuarts, in being here with their gear operating them like just absolute professionals and seeing it in action. So the the guys are back here. Oh, um, Stuart Williams back today, Greg Wilkes, the tree tree doctor, the tree butcher, one of the two, Um, depending on the season. um, He's here too and uh, doing levels and, you know, it's just very exciting stuff. And looking at a contour, I had a LIDAR um, done, Paul Appleton, shout out to you, buddy, got a LIDAR um, contour map done, or oh, last year, and it's just so invaluable now that we're looking at that and looking at thinking it's fascinating. Actually, you should just try this on your land if you've even if you don't have a lidar, but you can kind of work out your contours whether you can on Google and that sort of thing. Seeing which dams link up, you know, and seeing which steps sort of link up with other, other. Current dams or other other steps—it's just fascinating to, when you really look at it and you look at reading the landscape totally differently, and look at the potential to manage water—it's fantastic. Enough of that. Bang on. Uh, Mid-November, we've still got workshops underway for um, uh, Byron Bay. We would have been pretty much in. I think we we're in the we would be in the middle of Tasmania workshops by the time you hear this. And but we still have Byron Bay um, in that first week. I think it's the fifth and sixth of December, Monday, Tuesday. But today, tonight, now, I should say, Sheree Gooding, I interviewed Sheree um, oh, some months ago now prior to the RCS Convergence Conference, she very kindly hosted with her family um, a workshop up there at Biloela in Queensland. Um, I met Sheree at a, the year before, no, was it maybe two years ago now, Sheree? I can't remember. It was at the, um, <clears throat> maybe it was the year before the uh, Land to Market Conference in Albury and um, uh, we had a we only only got to chat and, and meet at the very end of that um that conference um and then kept in touch and then um yeah, she thought it was a good idea to host I hope she still thinks it was a good idea to host a workshop and then um uh, and then the convergence conference, which um, was was wonderful, and, and sharing lots of ideas, and, and she appears on um, an episode already released, the the RCS mashup as one of my guests that I um, dragged outside to have a bit of a chat about the the convergence conference. So Cherie, amazing woman, I have to say, vet, um, uh, you know, very good vet, um, looking to change and sort of. Um, uh, create a holistic vet um, practice that um, that sort of gets away from big pharma and the reliance on medication to treat everything, um, much more you know, bigger picture kind of thinking and, and health practice and health promotion. Um, she's a pilot, and I'm not sure if she's got a ticket at the moment, but she certainly had and wouldn't be, wouldn't take long for her to get it again, but a pilot, that's incredible in itself. Um, we didn't touch on it actually in the, in the interview because we chatted about it before. I forgot to ask her to tell us about how she emergency landed crashed, kind of ended up crashing, but um, uh, understandably I think one of the engines or the engine, no, it was only a single engine, <laughs> stopped and she survived and everyone else did. That in itself, it was a lovely aunt, but she's had her own health um, challenges along the way. And um, using her sort of you know understanding of animal physiology and science of that and, and her own... I won't say experiments, but um, certainly understanding her own illnesses and, and, and managing that and, and, and adapting all sorts of um, practices to her own health. She's managing it really, really well, and it's a real credit to her. So this is a real it's a combination of sort of animal world, human health world, environment, what she's doing on her farm there at Coolabar up at Bila Um You know, a single mum, just an amazing woman who's just sort of just – Gets on and does it. She, she, as I have mentioned about other guests, is, and she's a she's a knowing doer. You know, she knows stuff, and then she gets on and, and does it. And it's you know her farm is transforming, um, her life is absolutely transforming, and and uh, you know her regenerative practice as a regenerative, regenerative lifestyle. Um, big fan of Cherie. and here here is um, our conversation a couple of months ago on the veranda of her her house there at Coolabah, um, at and uh, I trust you enjoy this interview with Sheree Gooding as much as I did reviewing, not reviewing, doing it, <laughs> speaking with her, having a chat as the sun came up on the Regenerative Journey. Sheree Gooding, welcome to the Regenerative Journey and welcome to the um, eastern veranda of your, your your wonderful um, house here at Koolabar.
1: Yes, thank you very much, Charlie. Thanks for having me um, on the podcast. It's uh, exciting to sit down and have a chat. Got a nice cool morning here.
0: We have, but we were expecting 23, 24 today.
1: Yep, nice and mild, um, but uh, a bit warmer this morning. So that
0: was beautiful. Yeah. We went for a bit of a drive um, in on your um, over, I guess, the, the, the somewhat the boundary or the the uh, most of. For your 420 acres? Yep. Uh, I should let you say that, shouldn't I? I should, we've been, I've been here for a couple of days um, with Hamish McKay. Um, we ran a... Cherie and her, her mum and dad very kindly hosted a biodynamics workshop uh, over the last two days. And we've had some really good chats um, uh, in that time. And um, I probably should have just pressed the record button... Yeah. <laughs> well, you would have, wouldn't have, been, have to sit here now. So I trust that we um, we can revisit a lot of what we talked about in the last couple of days. Yep. Is that cool? Yes, yeah, sounds good. You can put a different spin on it, you know, um, yeah, if you want. But now actually if you if you make stuff up now, I'll know. <laughs> um, but we're sitting here and it's a beautiful view to the east. We've been watching the sun rise every morning and it's been absolutely spectacular. Um, Cherie, what's you're sitting here looking over your 420 acres or most of it. Um why here, why, we'll get to what you're doing here later on, but why why here of all places, apart from maybe mum and dad's up the, up the road, like what, what, is this a special place for you?
1: It is now. Um, so when I purchased this block nine years ago, um, I'd been looking for investment houses. I'd was with mum and mum and dad at that point and working in the local vet clinic and this block had come up um, on uh, the market a few years before and had been for quite a bit of money um, but the the market had had dipped then and so we decided just to dad and I just decided to rock into the auction. Um, just convenience; it's five k's up the road from their place where most of the work was happening. And um, sat back and it came to a standstill. So chucked a bid in and then had to go and talk to the bank manager after the fact.
0: <laughs> but- and that was here on the on the site. It uh, it no, town, it was in
1: town, but um, it, one of the joys of being a, a long local, I uh, did know the bank manager and did, <laughs> did know the auctioneer, but yeah, so that's how I ended up um, with this little block. It was a, it's a flood block, essentially. We've got a high spot where the house is, mm. and um it has its challenges because of that. It's got those three creek systems that run across it. Um, but, yeah, it's was a Parthenium and Indian cooch block when I bought it. So we've uh, it's just been slowly ticking over, and that was a big catalyst for um, my regenerative journey as well.
0: And so that was – so you bought it nine years ago and you've been here for four? Three. Three, yeah. three years now. Um, we went our tour this morning. You've done – uh, like anyway, you know, we'll, we'll get to sort of what you've you've done. I want you to kind of take us through that, but it's absolutely beautiful, and it's um I can imagine given your description what it used to be. And I'm not familiar necessarily with the country around wheeler, but certainly you know not country not all that far away. And knowing what flogged our country can look like, and how how it how the healing that needs to take place for that is just looking magnificent. Thank I've got you. to say the earthworks you've done and. Um and the you know the 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 wetlands is essentially created and in the you know what you've you what you've actually as Hamish was talking about yesterday in our workshop the you know there are knowers and there are doers Yep. and you're clearly you're clearly a you're clearly a knowing doer. Thank you. It seems, you know. No, no, it's just amazing. It, it was such, such, a, such a lovely and wonderful, inspiring thing. We looked at the trees, different you planted and the, the work down there, and the cattle, and the fencing, and it's just a real credit to you. So Anyway, so I'll pump your tyres up a bit later on. I won't, won't, won't go too, too hard. Um, anything else? Any sort of other little gems about being here and why, what it means for you to be here? Like, is there? Is it? Does it give you? Um, is it a sanctuary? Is it give you sovereignty? Is it kind of, what is it to, to have your block that you, you, you are the, I will not say the master of, but you have a, you had a blank canvas here, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did essentially. Um, so I'd been tied in with mum and dad until the start of this year and um, so now I think the feel of it's changed a lot just in this last six months because um, this very much is home now instead of somewhere where we slept at night when <laughs> the work was done um, and to sink my teeth into it now and actually start um, uh, putting all those dreams in place I guess. We had the had the foundation there with the changes to um, you know, putting the dam in and the wetland areas we've created, and um, some banks, natural sequence farming type banks that we've done. So the the guts of it was already going, but now um, I've got got all my animals up here, and you know, every morning you toodle out, and the veggie garden starting to go, and the herb garden. Yeah, you look out the window, and that. That I can now sink my teeth into, and it's just that um, that feeling of it being home now.
0: Well, that's kind of important, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For you, for you and Cooper. Yes, that's right. Yep. Um, let's get to. Well, Cooper will pop up no doubt in your story along the way. Where is he now?
1: Uh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's like a, with the dog. I'm Not sure. My my lordy is um. I just there you go. That's better. My lordy is. We call him the bush dog because he's not dissimilar to um, the Cooper barefoot running around playing with dogs. And is he is he okay? Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> he's fine. he need to play? I mean, he is, 12, he is twelve, so yeah. it's not as though he needs to be put on a leash or anything. but right. um, so this is his domain. <laughs> and can you before we jump into your agenda, journey? Can you set the scene a bit? I mean, we're looking at there's a there's a there's a um, there's some Dorpers there. Yep, that are yours, and they're in a. Interesting enclosure in itself. <laughs> it's
1: a bit of a story, um, yeah. So we've got a little little mob of meat sheep, um, which we do the box lamb with a local butcher. Um, so all the orders go through me, and people order exactly what cuts they want and. So that's been quite successful um, we just keep a small scale boutique but at the moment because of the weekend being being fairly busy with the workshop they've been locked in um, and a, what we call the enclosure which was originally a wildlife enclosure that was um, built alongside conservation volunteers australia um, and a wildlife charity that i was um had set up and was running at the time um, which has been mothballed for the time being, just with other projects going on. Uh, yes, yeah, so the sheep are actually, believe it or not, doing a job in there to get the buffalo grass down, um, and just it's a softwood scrub area, a very small area that, of remnant. Um, this place had been sprayed a lot with um, planes and all the creek systems to try and control parthenium. Um, and a lot of the trees had suffered quite astronomically, as had the country, just from that constant chemical input. Um, yeah, so they're actually it looks a bit ordinary at the moment with everything trampled and and we've got hay bales, round bales going in there um, on spots that I'll put extra shrubby type trees in, just trying to get that understory going in that mm. there. So my little workers at work, my little fence busters. Um, you know that challenge, Charlie, oh, no, you've said. <laughs> But they're tasty.
0: They are so tasty. It's yep. worth, worth the effort. Yes. Um, that wind was picking up a bit then, wasn't it? Your, your dead cat. Might be my dead cat. No, but it's probably more mine. Actually, you know what? Um, I sh- maybe should have got a sock. It's right. It's, it's, gone, it's gone now. Yep. And there's also two, because your dorpers are generally white with a few black heads and things, mm-hmm. there are two white, things in there with fangs. Yes. Tell us about them.
1: Yeah, so the two Maramas, um, they have been running, that pair are the original pair that have been with them for nine years now, and they do a fantastic job. We had issues. Um, these sheep used to be at mum and dad's place, and... Uh, we started losing the odd one with foxes if they twinned they'd pin they 'd manage to get a hold of um, one of them while the mum was protecting the other mm. and Then we had dingoes start coming through and they were getting pretty bold and in broad daylight they 'd come in and pick off a lamb and I'm not a um, believer of wiping out our apex predators. Um, they have an important role to play and that obviously can be controversial <laughs> discussion at times, but um, they, they definitely have their place and Australia doesn't have many apex predators. So I think they're very important to our ecosystem health and keeping the roos on the move and, and uh, all the other important roles that they play. So I went down the road of guardian dogs, and we've never looked back. Um, they've been phenomenal. I, I got one initially thinking I knew better and only needed one, and he took a touch-up from a dingo. Uh, so I got the bitch then, and um, this pair have been amazing. Eccentric. You could ride a foot rot flats on them, but, um, yeah, cool. they're quite entertaining.
0: That. God, that looks really dirty, doesn't it? it? Can, you hear, can you hear me through that sock? Yeah, that's better. I can
1: hear you fine.
0: That's all right. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, um, It's going to get a cold left foot now. Um, they're fascinating, aren't they? Like we've got one at home. He's, you know, he's he was a chicken dog, and um and they and you were telling. So well, let's let's get back to that actually, so because that's that's a part of kind of the. The menagerie, and I say that with all, with all due respect, because it's that's it's, it's what, what is a menagerie? What's, it's a, it's a, it's it's an indicator of diversity, isn't it? Biodiversity. Yeah. Yep. So let's get back to your regenerative journey, Sheree. Um, you, how far? Where do you want to go? What you were born where, Wheeler? No, you no, were born somewhere else. I was
1: born in Warwick. Um, Mum and Dad were contracting, earth moving and um, the likes uh, up around Charters Towers, so, but uh, my grandparents were down there. So, born down in Warwick and then spent the first couple of um, years of my life in the middle of the bush, um, in a caravan <laughs> going At from, Charters Towers? Yeah, round yeah. out out on property, on, out on cattle stations, yeah. um, wherever Dad was Sinking dams, or yeah. doing doing. Right.
0: You stay there. I'm just going to lower that dead Thank cat. Yeah, that's good.
1: Uh, yeah, wherever Dad was um, putting dams in for people on properties or yard building or whatever the the case might have been. Um, so there's lots of photos of um, you know. Filthy kids in ball dust. That's how we started off. <laughs> Lots of good microbes, um, <laughs> and then and then um, when my older brother was due to start school, they bought the place down the road uh, here near Billowilla, fifteen k's out of Billow. and um, I yeah grew up here, did all my schooling locally, and then headed off to university in Brisbane uh, to do my vet degree. And then
0: travelled. Don't jump a over time. that time. You can't be just like <laughs> skipping over all that. Um, so local, um, uh, primary, secondary, yep, local, and then w- w- why? Um, why vet?
1: Um, oh, I'm. You know, we grew up with the menagerie. Mum and dad always. Uh, Mum was a wildlife carer. Um, Despite the fact that, you know, in their early years to get themselves set up, they had to do tree clearing. Dad was known as the greeny tree clearer (laughs) with his dozer, (laughs) with scrub pulling. They'd go around all the, you know, big big um, black butts and whatever that had hollows in them and just refused to pull them. Okay, and, yeah, West, um, that's unreal. Beautiful. Yeah, and people um, people are in hindsight grateful that are still on those places, but, um, it yeah, it's just a mindset and a paradigm. Um, as we all know, you saw my wattle paddock this morning that's um, growing some pretty decent grass these days.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's uh, just been a bit of a journey, I suppose, to come from there and then high school in Biloela at the state school. Uh, that was a little bit rough just with um, as far as... It- the teaching staff and trying. We had four different physics teachers, I think, in grade 12, so that was a challenge to get the OP one that was needed to get into vet school, which, of course, I didn't get.
0: Were you, like, in physics, blowing stuff up and the teacher's just saying, I can't do this anymore? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, know, the problem, you know, the quick story. <laughs> the school, the, the experiment, I'm sure it was, no, it wasn't physics, it was chemistry, sorry, yeah. quick, quick, quick um, sideline. I'm sure we blew stuff up in physics as well, and it was making um, plastic, Oh, polymer. Yes. <laughs> One guy had the beaker and the teacher said very clearly, now when you add this ingredient to the beaker, don't, have, don't be holding the beaker. Oh. Oh, my God. He held the beaker, put the stuff in it and it just went boof and it was this pink stuff and he had a that's pig it. pink plastic hand and burnt the crap out of him. <gasps> it was horrible. Pull <laughs> peeling his skin off. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> There's, oh, that's my only school story, I promise. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so that's quite an achievement. I mean, I'm not saying you know, like... And a number of levels, and I want to get to, so state school, how many people from state schools go and do VET? Is uh, there a lot? There...
1: Well, I'm trying to think what my class was made up of, but no, probably not a huge amount. A lot of them had been at, at boarding school or private schools. Um, yeah. But we had quite a percentage in our year that had um, done a science degree or started science and then um, and then come across to VET. Mm. Um, so I actually won a scholarship and uh, for remote rural um and then based on that, my OP um, was. So I had an OP3 and it was,
0: uh, which is different. So oh, to what's, what's OP?
1: No, uh, it was overall position. So the.
0: Oh, that's like your scoring.
1: Yeah, whatever the scoring system oh, is. Oh, okay. Because each state
0: has it, I think they have a different. Yep, different kind of. They call it a different thing.
1: It's different now uh, today. Is it I out of sure. 100
0: or 500 or what was uh, it? No, like? it was
1: 1 to 25 and 1 being the highest. It was a very backwards type.
0: Oh, right. System. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was fortunate
0: enough to. You were 1, weren't you? With my grade. No. You were 1? No. Really? I got a 3. 3 is good. Yeah. 3 is like if, if it's 25 times 4, that's like 88, 90% yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Compare.
1: But it was the one to get into bed, so um, I was fortunate oh, enough to get that scholarship and, on and get, through, get through that way,
0: yeah. And so you turned up there and you were, most, as you said, were private schools and, and whatever else. Um, was that challenging being not necessarily an outsider but not from that, I don't know, thinking or that school system or, or anything? How did you kind of, how did you deal with that? Or was that just didn't matter?
1: Uh, it, yeah, it was a bit of an um, adaption for me, but I took a year off after school. Um, worked for mum and dad. for It was Beef 2000, so we, mum and dad had a Charolais start at the time, so we had a show team for that. Um, so we did Beef 2000. And, um, and then I went to New Zealand for a while. Um, I'd um, won a junior judging competition that sent me over there. And I was supposed Cattle. to go... Yeah, judgy, cattle, cattle, cattle Yeah, so I spent, it was supposed to be for three weeks and I stayed for three months and travel <laughs> went from-
0: The organisers of that thing, oh, you were there for three months. <laughs> now we're going to give you a ticket for three weeks.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, they just, the return ticket, it was just return ticket. The rest of it was up to <laughs> exactly me. right, yeah,
0: cool.
1: <laughs> um, no, I just started on a, a um, they had Herefords and- Angus stud and a dairy as well, started there, absolutely loved it and then um, just got put on into another family and another family mm. and I moved my way through the North and South Islands and did a bunch of um, cattle showing for different people and had a ball really. Mm. And yeah, so I was glad I got to do all of that um, prior to heading for Brisbane and university. Um, so I think that set me in pretty good stead, just that bit of travel and
0: we matured a bit and a bit of life, yeah. life experience. Yep. And
1: just sick of, sick of studying mm. after um, grade 12. But, totally. yeah, so and then um, the vet students were a fair mix. We had um, students from, you know, Augustella, St. George, good bunch of rural kids in our year, which was a little bit unusual um, for some reason. It just, they fell in our year. And we had quite a percentage of, uh, we had about 40% um, men as well, which was also becoming unusual. Um, There's a lot of
0: um, women vets, which is great now, isn't there? Like, yeah. is that Do you know, do you have a sense of why that is? Is it uh, like? I
1: think it's just to do with the education and study system to a degree.
0: Like the, um, the, the girls can, like, handle a study and be more diligent. Don't the, yeah, go to the pub every night.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure, but it was, um, yeah, it was transitioning over. But the reality is that um, you find when there is a male vet in the clinic or the scenario, um, it just, it, there's a whole different feel to it. Um, I'm... Certainly, I'm all for, you know, women being able to do anything they put their mind to, but I'm not a feminist by any stroke of the mark either. Um, there's, there's a place and there's definitely times where I will call on the farmer to come and give me the muscle because, you know, the reality is we are women and um, it's, it's technique, a lot of it. And you can work most stuff out through um, technique, whether, it, you know, with carvings and the bigger jobs. But uh, I'm certainly not beyond saying, oi, come here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I need
1: need your muscle and I know it's gross, but get your hands in
0: here. (laughs) I'll tell you what to do. But, I mean, that's... I guess it's just, again, back to diversity. It's like diversity of the genders because they all have different roles to play, whether it's a strength thing or an an intelligence or, as you say, a technique and a method thing. I mean, that just makes sense for there to be a – it doesn't have to be 50-50 and that's a whole other conversation around, oh, no, we've got to have 50-50 in this this business where – and pick a business, you know, a lot of businesses – you know, depending on what it is, of course, men are just better at the job Mm. or women are better at the job. So to try and go, oh, no, we've got to have gender equality, it's like, well, it might be gender equality, but is it fair?
1: And it's also, I don't care what, you know, sex, shape, colour, religion they are. If they're the best person for the job, that's the person who should have the job.
0: It doesn't... Drop the mic. All the rest of it. Yeah, Yeah. no, totally. I'm... Anyway, back to yeah. So, but but I, but I, but you know, there are there are reasons why I guess more more girls are sort of completing the studies and, and doing it. Mm. And I think that in itself, if just as a as a part of the agricultural industry, is a is a positive. It's not a negative. I think it's a it's generally a positive because of the, um, I mean, even putting aside the fact that it's vets, you know, the vets of the world. Just having more women in ag, yeah, it's just a really really. Good thing for agriculture. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is balancing things up, yes, but just the, um, I mean, look at what you're doing here. I'm not saying a bloke couldn't do this, but the sensitivities and the um, the nuances and the, you know, there's also that aesthetic as well. I mean, there's blokes who, you know, we, we know what looks good and what doesn't, but um, I just think it's such a vital.
1: Got the feminine touch. Well, that's
0: it, and it's really again, it's all it's all Because yeah, for many years, I mean, your dad drove, you know, did the earthworks, and that's kind of a, more of a man's job. We can all we happy to agree to that, I'm sure. But it's the nuances, it's the the bits, and um, and also often it's the the um, it's like the it's the courage, but it's also like the there's less ego. Can I say that? Girls and boys? Often? No, it's like you know the boys have you know it's got to be a particular way, or maybe it's a maybe it's a thing about change that um, uh, uh, maybe men are maybe women are sort of more more um, open to change. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just I, I don't know I, I just love it's the fact that it's yeah. yeah it's, I just love the fact that it's it's now a thing, mm. you know, and it's really important. It's probably you know. More To it, yep. more to it. I'm not in, yeah. Again, it's gonna be like 50% of all farmers will be women. <laughs> no, um, if it's 70%, it's probably going to be better than the whatever it is at the moment. Mm. Um, so Vet did that tough course five years,
1: yeah, five years, pretty full time. Um, we were five days a week, unlike most other courses, and yeah, got through, went through that one, lots of um. Uh, Vets are renowned for their hard partying, so you've got to get out the other end of the... actually graduate and know something. Um, But, no, we met a great bunch of people, um, you know, from all walks of life that we went through, and uh, it's very communal, the um, vet students, because we're sent on pracs together, and uh, just the nature of the study, I guess. Uh, A lot of prac work in the last um, two years, on farm and um uh that was when it was still based in Brisbane, but we were doing pack work out at Gatton and it's obviously all at a, at um Gatton now. It is. Yeah, for U yeah,
0: Q. Right.
1: Yep. Okay. Yeah, so um yeah, got through that one and
0: You had some before you go over that one again, I I'm glad I had a couple of days to sort of try and <laughs> find some anchor points here. You had some um if we can talk about that, you had some health challenges mm-hmm. that, that that weren't just kind of um not just at uni, but way back.
1: Yep. Yep. So age five, um, I uh, was diagnosed with rheumatoid juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And um, being rheumatoid, it's the autoimmune-based one, uh, not your osteo. Um, they think it was triggered from possibly a Ross River fever. We'll never really know. Um, but uh, had a cousin similar age um, get it at the same time, and they were living just down the road, and, and no other family history of it. So uh, there will have been some sort of trigger. Um, yeah, so that that was a challenge. Um, I grew up with uh, wearing splints to bed on my. Um, ankles and knees and elbows and hands and feet. So we'd get strapped in every night and sleep with those.
0: And and those splints were to support your joints? Yeah, make
1: sure um, they were growing as straight as they, uh, you know, all your limbs were growing as straight as possible with all the inflammation going on. Zena. Sorry, we've got a chalk under the table.
0: Just... <laughs> Zena's Zina. been at us all for the last three days with a stick. Yep. Like, just go, throw a stick, throw a stick. She's a a, a re,
1: rehoming job that's um, ended up great for a 12-year-old.
0: Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, uh, Zena.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think being a child, um, you're fairly resilient. So whilst you remember the, the the those bits and pieces, a lot of it I don't really recall until a family member or a family friend mentions it there was a family friend the other day that said i can't believe how good your hands are looking um you know i remember what they were like when you were trying to do long jump you know as a kid and you had swollen ankles and you had your lace up basketball boots to support your ankles and you just uh, you yeah you don't it's not that you don't remember it i suppose but you just don't dwell on it it was life and that was my life and he just uh, worked with it. I still tried to do everything my three brothers did, and um, was yeah played piano. That was one of the therapy.
0: Was it just parts. to, to yeah, keep fingers a moving movement and, yeah yeah. Wow. yeah and I noticed your piano there. I was going to ask you if you, if you play you play. I'm a bit rough rusty. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> um, a great skill to have.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it was just um, and my parents. Uh, I was fairly fortunate. They just. They did what they had to do with all of the um, occupational therapy and, and um, you know, all the rest of it. it took me to naturopaths down at the Gold Coast when I was about nine or ten and um, so I went on, uh, you know, it was gluten-free and dairy-free way back then. Um, derailed a few times as I got into my late teens and, and university and then um, – as you know, life goes on and various different challenges. And then it eventually got to a point in recent years over a period of the last four years where I've um, had some massive health issues um, and it's come right back to nutrition being the absolute fundamental behind it all. Um, for the inflammation cascade and everything that's building, I ended up with other subsequent autoimmune diseases um, and for the last 18 months, though, just through um, met various types of management, but the foundation being nutrition, um, I'm now medication-free. So I've been on injections twice a week for the last 20 years. Um, injections? And, yeah.
0: Because well, you mentioned the other day and I didn't I didn't miss the bit about injections, so it wasn't just like a pill, it was an injection. No, no.
1: Twice Self,
0: self-administered?
1: Yep. Wow. Yeah. Being a bed, I'm used to stabbing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nails, are like, oh, It was actually really
1: hard doing a starting on myself, but anyway. Was <laughs> is
0: that, is that, is that bum or was it arm? Just or
1: under it? the skin, so yeah, in, any, in your leg or
0: anywhere. Belly, soft. Yeah. Oof. Yep.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so it and I kept that medication in the fridge for. I, I literally chucked it out last week when I was cleaning the fridge out because I thought I'm going to need more room for all this catering. <laughs> it's been sitting there; I just couldn't quite take that step to go. Nope, I'm actually don't need this stuff, wow. and it's been 18 months.
0: Yeah, and it's it's pretty not it's not cheap stuff either. You were no, it's
1: it's um, exorbitantly expensive, and
0: and a bit experimental back then.
1: Yeah, so um, I qualified for it in I think it was 20. Uh, Sorry, 2003 or 2002. Um, And because I was an adult by that point, um, but it was a juvenile, uh, a drug for juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, even though that is what I had, um, I had to go through a process to qualify for it, which meant um, six different drug trials. So each one, each drug I had to trial for six months, they were steroids, they were methotrexate, they were all sorts of nasty business. And um, I'd been on various ones of those over the years, you know, Slazopyrin, um, because that was how you treated. And still to this day, that is how you treat inflammatory diseases and autoimmune diseases. Um, steroids are the first thing that they that is reached for, and it's the same in the vet industry, and you just become one big pharmacy, um, which I became very disillusioned about, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, it's... Yeah, so I had to, had to fail each one of those, which I did brilliantly because nothing was controlling my rheumatoid by that point. Um, and then – sorry, I'm arguing with the dog here. <laughs> and then um, qualified for this drug. And it, and it actually was um, the right thing for me at that point in time because my um, rheumatoid was out of control um i'd had a couple of surgeries on my hands by this point um i'd uh my ankle was fused a little while later um and yeah i'd had pretty major surgery on tendons and um uh lumps and joints on on my left hand um so something had to be done just to slow that inflammation process up uh, to stop that destruction um degeneration of my joints and it did it worked um and uh yeah, so I, I was on that for 15, 16 years. Um,
0: Until 18 months ago. Yep. Wow. Tell me about the, while we're on it, we may as well stay there with, um, so Ross River fever might have been a, a catalyst. Yep. Um, autoimmune. Yep. And as you said, all those things, you know, swollen joints and, and you were still growing, so that could you know, be problematic. And then then you kind of – then there was the acknowledgement or the management of food. Yeah. Um, how is – and then obviously, you know, you were – I think you were saying the other night you could have like test yourself every now and again and have something you probably shouldn't and then you go, oh, that's right, that's not good for me. How did your experience with with that diet or that kind of management, food-wise, and there's a whole lot of other lifestyle things, um, inform your – appreciation or your, um, the, the way you manage your food now, food that you, you food, you grow, well, sorry, starting in food that you eat is in your fridge. Now you've got more room to throwing out those on medication, which is wonderful in itself. The fact that you've self-managed with some help to a point with no medication, but also the food you grow, like how, how is that history? Is that, is that influenced it? I...
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that very first visit um, to a naturopath, and the fact that we knew that um, the basis of that diet and the path that he set me on um, had been successful, I essentially went into remission as a teenager for a bit, um, and then you know it's just life's ebbs and flows. I guess you think, um, oh, right? So you go back to. Eating what you had me and being a you know, late teens and, and whatever else. But um, so that was always in the in the background for me that I knew that I had felt better than as a, as a child, as a teenager, and that was purely down to exercise. Because um, uh, you know, mum was an athletics coach, and we just we were always very very active, always outside. You know, carting. Uh, mum and dad grew hay, so carting hay bales, all of that sort of stuff. Gardening. Mum and dad have got a massive garden, so we were always busy um, outdoors. I think that's a massive part of it too. And the other thing was that I, my cousin being sick with the same disease at the same time, same age, um, the, we, I could see later on in hindsight, the, the differences in our lifestyle, um, our eating habits, and just how that possibly played into it at the time, not really understanding, but certainly in the last couple of years with all the research and the people that I've worked in with, that um, that was definitely a big, big factor in how our disease has progressed, has progressed really, really rapidly. She ended up with um, multiple joint replacements, elbows, knees, um, uh, at a very young age when we were still in our late teens, early
0: 20s. So her diet was not... Not- well,
1: I don't 100% know, but um, it's down to the s- specifics of it, but certainly n- not as active as I was. Um, always a bit smaller, though, and more frail, <laughs> fairly robust, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but And just that difference in lifestyle. I was on a farm and always super active, tried to do everything the boys did, uh, and and didn't hold back on giving just uh, different natures a bit to probably a lot of factors that come into mm. it like any disease I think, um, and it, it was just looking back in hindsight at what all those potential differences might have been, um, but she unfortunately she had an exceptionally painful life. She was quite very crippled with it by our late teen years and early 20s and multiple surgeries. And then with um, arthritis and rheumatoid in particular, it's well known that depression is comes hand in hand um, and to the point where when I had a share in the vet clinic, I couldn't get income protection because I have rheumatoid arthritis. And when I queried it and the insurance behind it, Wow. It was to do with the um, high correlation with depression and mental illness um, that goes with with a disease like rheumatoid, and and obviously um, just our. Um, fine motor skills, the ability, you know, with that sort of stuff.
0: So, like so I guess there's a, that's a greater risk.
1: Yes, yep. Yeah, I put a scalpel sure. through my foot. <laughs> if you did, I mean. <laughs> drop one in surgery. Have
0: you done that before?
1: Uh, just finger, not foot. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. When you're well, do, I mean, you doing a caesarean in a cow, it's a bit of a blind thing at times, you know.
0: But that's, I mean, to, to that, just quickly, just, we'll get back to food, but to that, I mean, you you know, um, you were doing surgeries, weren't you? Yeah. You, you, and you you sort of, again, you you, fluff over the top of things. I'm glad I do know the history a bit more. So you said, oh, I worked in a clinic. Oh, you were one of the principals there, though, weren't you? you yeah, were, you for were... a time.
1: Um, so I worked, uh, I did a lot of locum work, um, worked overseas in the UK for a bit, did a stint in um, Zimbabwe uh, as a volunteer, um, ended up doing some, Absolutely amazing stuff there with wildlife and then ended up back at Um Mad dog.
0: <laughs> Zena's just dragging tea bags out of the kitchen and eating them. <laughs> we found a pile in front of the door there before. How'd that get there? Crazy. Yeah, so back to Biloela. Sorry.
1: Um, yeah, so the came back to Wheeler, um, worked in the local clinic for a while and then ended up buying into it with a business partner and um, and uh, I, I um, love the vet, the vet job. I um, got to a point where I didn't love chasing clients for money. Um, that becomes a bit of a challenge. And the, um, the biggest downfall for a lot of us is that whole empathy, constant empathy That you're giving not just um, to the client, but you've got an animal that is suffering or sick or, and you're the mediator all the time between finance, um, an animal that's suffering that you're trying to do the best thing for, but you've got um, often financial constraints, which is understandable. And the biggest thing being that um, you'd have to have the difficult discussion with the client when it was put back on you that you didn't care um, because it was all about money that... We are a private business. We don't have Medicare, and unfortunately, in Australia, we're—oh, fortunately, we are so unaware of what medical expenses are because we do have Medicare, and um, we have most people have no concept of how expensive um, a lot of it is. And and I don't, you know, want to cry about it. But it's just the reality of the situation, which would make it difficult then when you were trying to um, do what the client wanted, but have financial constraints.
0: They're saying you need to save my dog yes. and you're going, What's well, it's gonna cost you five K and they're going I mean that from a client's I don't point it of it view ever is not think costs five K from my <laughs> 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 but No. That but I mean, <laughs> really? Wow, yeah, I should bring my dogs up here. Yeah. Um no yeah that would be challenging.
1: It was and it's it was the it's the mental um, mind games I guess that end up um The job's a busy job and you have after hours. So the other thing the client wasn't aware of is that you could have been in the clinic from 1 o'clock that morning um, and have done, you know, two surgeries already and a snake bite and God knows what else. But, um, and, and that's not relevant to that particular client, but then it becomes very difficult to manage those situations where um, you've got someone saying that you don't care about the animal, it's all about the money, and they're yelling at you because just give them the drugs, um, to the point where we've nearly had to call the police, you know, with um, mm. uh, stuff at various times over the years. Um, but normally you can diffuse the situation, but it, and it's emotional-driven. It's completely emotional-driven. And then it just came down to the point where I, I just eventually, and most do... Um, you just say to them, Look, having animals is a choice. It's your choice. You've chosen to have this animal. Now it's your choice as to how you're going to go about treating it. These are your options A, B, C on varying degrees of success, basically, mm. for the outcome, um, which is tough because you can't just fix it.
0: And in that moment of, of, of anxiety and emotion, and the, the dog or the animal's crook, and that's. To make a decision, oh, it's, it's absolutely, that's how you have to kind of lay it down for them, it but is, for them yeah. to then turn around and go, well, I'm actually going to choose to let my animal die because yep. like, I'm also choosing to pay the bill, or I mean, in, in I'm sure some cases it just wasn't possible to pay the bill. But you also had, so there's that emotional side of it as a, as a, a principle in a practice like that. And then you was you said t- the other day, I <clears throat> mean, with your, um, Sure, we skipped over a big chunk here somewhere, but your your um uh your your ability to do surgery, you know, you were the, the pain you were going through and your your mm-hmm. energy levels, you you were struggling sometimes to stand up. You said,
1: "Yep." Um, so, just with my health, I um it was just a snowball type effect, I guess, of um, just the hours that were put in in the clinic um, once uh, uh, Katie and I um, had, a, you know, owned it, had bought it, um, and being owners and, and operators as well. Um, so you're, run, you're running the business as well as doing still full-time vet work, so which is common, um, or becoming less common, actually, as, as a lot of them are sort of corporatized um, but and it's probably for the better because the vets can be vets. Um, as much as I don't love the, that sort of big company bias scenario, um, the feel of the, uh, you know, small rural vet clinics is always the appeal, but the reality is that if we have less burnt-out vets and less suicides, then that's got to be a plus. And if it means that management's run from head office somewhere and the vets can be vets, then great. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a solution that's there. But, um, yeah, well, my health uh, started – it was deteriorating again. It sort of goes through ebbs and waves.
0: Because of the um, arthritis, that was yeah, like, like another – it was
1: one layer of it. Yeah. Um, the rheumatoid, um, just the added – just the extra stress, I guess, lack of sleep, um, not eating as well. And I was saying to you the other day, you know, we have our – the drug orders would come in and they always had chocolates and stuff in them. So at 2 o'clock in the morning after you've done a surgery and you're wandering around the qu- clinic waiting for – for a dog to wake up, um, you go to the fridge and grab chocolate of course <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning. And it just snowballed because sugar is a massive um, inflammatory agent and amongst all the other stuff. Um, and I took my son's had food intolerances since uh, tiny. Well we eventually worked out that's what the case was, but food intolerances since tiny. And so I'd been down that path before but as an intolerance rather than just something that was feeding a disease. Um, and so had had a lot of awareness about food and the roles that played and what we were poisoning ourselves with by what we put in our mouths. Um, so that would, would have played into it too. But I essentially ended up with um, inflammatory bowel to a degree and, um, and then I also had such, and it was a combination of all that inflammatory stuff, but I took my son to an absolutely brilliant doctor that um, we've got over at Yapoon, who's um, quite alternate, but doesn't steer away from modern medicine either. Um, and I walked in with Cooper and he said, took one look at me and said, I need to treat you first. I said, no, no, I'm here for here for the kiddo, <laughs> and he said, well, you you can't look up, um, you can't do your job and look after him, and you know sort him out if you're not well. So we'll start with you, and um, it just happened to tie in with the the sort of beginning. I was at a tipping point, I think, and I did tip over that point, unfortunately. But um, that was some of us with our. Personality types have to have to do that. The as it was said at the workshop, one of the people the other day, chunk of 4B2 over the head, not just a little tap on the shoulder. There's what we have to listen to. Um yeah, so I ended up chronically ill and um huge hormonal imbalances. Um and when I say hormonal imbalances, not just your female crazy hormones, but the um, you know all of the the hormones that our brain produces, basically, and um, the levels were so far out of kilter that when my results started coming back in, this doctor um, was sort of just gently, was very quietly spoken, gently trying to tell me what it was that was going on, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm coping and, you know, I'm doing this and that. And eventually he said to me, people like you end up in jail. <laughs> like, hey, okay, I'm listening now. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, and, and it was actually a fascinating conversation after that. And I think because of my science background um, and, and testing all this stuff in animals, I was able to um, – Understand everything he was telling me, and just it was about me for it this time, um, and just with those levels of you know testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, um, and just the how out of balance they were, um, then that was creating a massive biochemical imbalance within my body and my brain, um, and these are the types of imbalances that then trigger things like bipolar um, and schizophrenia and. Um, we wonder how these things come about, and all of it just came back to lifestyle. Um, you know, stress, food, 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 food. I can't say that enough. And what we were put, what I was put, had been putting into my body over the years with medications and various and various other nasty stuff, and probably chemical exposure too on the farm. Mum and dad were pretty good. We use very limited, but that's, there's always that factor too when you start thinking back. Um, but yeah, I ended up in in surgeries and um, barely getting through them. Um, I'd just end up in agony or with such amazing brain fog. Now knowing how I feel now as to how I was then, that it's um, it's amazing that I actually was able to. Work through the process of diagnosing or anything really um, with the animals, and just that clarity and memory and recall. And my recall was nothing like it had been. And we all just blame it on baby brain, but uh, which was would have been part of it. Cooper didn't sleep for three years, but um, <laughs> it just it um, it just all snowballed. And yeah, I'd end up um, yeah, with massive um, abdominal type pain or brain headache type stuff Uh, it's not really a headache with me with a gluten reaction it's like a band around my head that just gets tighter and tighter and then gets behind my eyes Um, which are quite distinctive for me now I know know what the signals are but um, at the time it was just this big cocktail of mess and the doctor would say to me your body will tell you and I'm like it's screaming at me I don't know what it's trying to tell me so we slowly worked through all of that and he told my son to watch me because Cooper was very good with his diet and with gluten and dairy not being a part of his diet. And, um, yeah, we went down that whole road of sugar-free, which I'd been doing for – had already gone on to after reading Sarah Wilson's stuff that just reiterated all of that. Um, and I love following all her her stuff. It's um, been very insightful. and And then just the – I ended up having to go gluten-free, dairy-free – Preservative free, and we just it's and people say, How the hell do you do that? We just eat real food, it's a really quite simple. You just eat
0: real food, eat what as uh, Michael Pollan says, eat, don't eat anything that your great grandmother wouldn't recognise.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Yep, mm. yep, yeah.
0: And at the same time, you were um, so. Cooper's 12, turning 13 soon. He's mm-hmm. a teen.
1: Mm. He's a teen.
0: Scary. Um, his behaviour last night was a bit teenish, wasn't it? What were you doing last We were playing night? Jenga.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know, a bit to feed off of
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so he's nearly 13. So you you, um, you had um, Cooper and you were, you were essentially a single mum at the same time mm-hmm. as having your um, your your health challenges, yeah, and running a um, a vet clinic.
1: Well, I the vet clinic was a bit. He was a bit older when I bought into that, but yeah. um.
0: But yeah, you said he didn't the... didn't sleep for three years when he yeah.
1: yeah. So I was working as a vet, but
0: that's um, right. Yeah, okay, so yeah. but you were still had the responsibilities of a vet. Yep. Single mum, son who wasn't sleeping for three years,
1: and the Shabro stud.
0: <laughs> and the Shabro stud, Living at mum and dad's. Yep.
1: At that point. Yep.
0: And yeah, all surrounded by a, um, a challenging health scenario, mm-hmm. which you—I mean, there's multiple layers there. So I'm not surprised that you know to focus on. Well, you got to a, you got to a point where it, you know there was a point, wasn't there?
1: There was a tipping point. Yeah. So, um, uh, my brother in 2019 um, had a battle. Well, he had had a battle with brain cancer for 10 years. And um, so he passed away in 2019, and just prior to that, at the end of 2018, when was when I would had my first um, really bad belt, where I was sliding down the wall, trying to stay sterile in surgery, and just telling the nurses, "Just give me a minute," and then getting back up to finish the finish the surgery. Um, and so at the end of 2018, I and I was I knew that I was becoming not pleasure, uh, not a pleasure to work with either because I was short and, and, um, I just couldn't, I was saying to you the other night, I just couldn't feel joy. And people, um, the amount of people that have said to me, it's a choice and it's about positive thinking and it's about positive affirmation and all these different things, which are absolutely all important and, and amazing tools. Um, the thing I've tried to explain is that things can get really complex and I've had that layer of autoimmune disease from which uh, does add into that complexity from a very young age and the damage that's done to my joints is done Um, but now it's a case of managing that inflammation uh, moving forward and the bone damage is, is done, but the inflammatory type stuff, you know, I can open my hands right up now and and, and I'm recently 40s, and that's amazing. My hands are operating better now than they were when I was 30. So um, there, there's a lot in it, but uh, I guess, yeah, trying to work as a vet, um, I had a very good nurse colleague at the time that I'd just said, you know, just keep an eye on what I'm, what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> make just sure check the bottles I'm giving sure, people. Yeah,
1: make sure I don't miss a step somewhere. Um, because <laughs> the brain fog was, it was sensational. Like it just was, uh, uh, looking back now, it was just amazing. Um, that constant um, pressure sort of feeling on your brain and that it was wrapped in cotton wool and your thoughts were wrapped in cotton wool and it, nothing, there was no clarity and, um, yeah, so towards the end of twenty eighteen, I got to a point where I was just completely flat and completely run down, burnt out, and um, the brain fog, and physically unwell as well with the gut stuff that was going on, um, and inflammatory bowel type stuff, and then and it just kept cycling around, and then I'd get the you know the headaches, and it was just getting worse and worse, and with that, um, an element of depression, uh, not so much complete clinical depression but feeling depressed and and an inability to feel joy and that's when Dr Um, Cavajid had said to me that um, people like you end up in jail and his explanation based around that was that um, with those that level of imbalances um, and everything that's going on with my body and the toxins and the biochemistry that was currently going on they're the people that end up smothering babies in in a moment or king hitting somebody and Um, people, you know, I hear lots of judgment that gets thrown around and I used to be quite judgmental about this stuff myself, but having lived through it, I have a very different perspective now. It's not that simple sometimes. And while it's inexcusable, um, I, I empathize with the fact that it's not that simple at times. Um, yeah having having lifted, and whilst I never felt like smothering my baby, thank God, um it's quite a scary thing to have um, said to you, yeah.
0: And so you had that first um, would if we put um, your doctor's name in the show notes, is that is it or he might oh, just not yeah. have the word no' I don't know. <laughs> well, you might maybe ask him because we're happy to if he's happy to, But I, yeah. but if he's if he's just going, oh, I don't need the extra work. No, or, he
1: doesn't. He's sort of semi-retired.
0: He's semi-retired. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, lovely man up there at your Um <laughs> We how was I going with that? Um, yeah. So he had that. He had that meeting with him, mm-hmm. and that was no doubt a um, that was a that was a a, a, a catalyst for for healing.
1: Yep. Yep. Um,
0: did, did you see, you had seen him after your um, brother had passed away? Like that was kind of all that had happened and then you went, let's go and see him. But again, I the interesting I'd, thing was it was for Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: So, so I, th- I think I'd seen him before on and off for just different things, but not in a big holistic type context that we ended up with. Um, and that was just through circumstance. And he had warned me um, that, you know, if... if uh, I couldn't keep going down that track without making massive changes, and we always ate really, really healthily. But the it, I had to become super strict with it, and especially to break not so much the habit, but give my gut a chance for all that um, microflora to change over. So my gut, you know, it would have been highly bacterial, probably fairly fungal, and um, and it needed to switch. And to stop that feedback loop that goes on with your gut flora that's telling your brain that you've got this craving and that's the food you want, whether it be high sugar, high carb, whatever, those feedback loops take time. and, And that time is due to microbes changing over, and it's exactly the same in animals um ruminants uh, in particular they're f- uh, um amazing to watch and work with and that's a big passion of mine is um ruminant nutrition and just health in general from the soil up but um, and giving microbiology that that change, and it's a two sort of a two week bracket with any microbes. You need you know they need a fortnight for changes to come in place if there's a change in feed. Um, so when we're doing making drastic changes in our own li- lives or our guts and or in, in animals, we've got to appreciate that there's an adjustment period. Um, so for me, it um, was sort of three months, I reckon, before I stopped. Uh, it was a real physical thing to not have dairy or um, gluten. Sugar wasn't so bad. Um, butter.
0: You love butter. I loved butter. <laughs> <Yeah>. And cheese. <laughs> I love cheese.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. um, you know, the potatoes smothered in.
0: Oh, stop it! Mm, Corn.
1: Yeah, Yep. Anyway, <laughs> I don't crave it anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's, I'm getting hungry. It's just I've got shock. some bad feedback loop going on. No, actually, I don't think I've got a problem with dairy. Um, yes. So.
1: Um, yeah. So it just it was time, and um, you hear so many stories about people not having the willpower or whatever to change their diet, whether they be overweight or, and I get that completely because your little bugs are going, "Hey, come on, feed me!" And so tell me about so that dark. feedback loop.
0: Yeah, like, well what's what what is that? I mean it is you sort of it's it's um it's in humans and it's in and, everything. everything yeah and cattle and the whole thing. So tell me how does that work?
1: So um, basically with the microbiology in your gut or everything that's going on in your gut, um, the whole sensory system is always all linked to your brain and nervous system, obviously. And there's we yeah, the feedback loop's just a easy thing to I guess understand, but Um, Whatever is being produced um, in your gut um, then to do with the satiety centres and stuff, I guess that's what people would probably relate to the most with um, hunger. But it's a similar thing as well for um, what those microbes are producing with regards to then cravings, so types of foods, because – We've got protozoa and, and fungi and, and bacteria and yeast and all the good stuff that sit in our guts all the time and same with all the animals, but they can be in all different types of levels. And if we have a predominantly um, yeast, you know, being fairly predominant in our gut, that's when we end up with, and same with animals, end up with a lot of skin type disorders and um, um Things like um, dermatitis and athlete's foot and all that sort of stuff in humans and in animals. It can be dermatophylosis and, and um, ringworm and that sort of thing. And it's just because we've got a um, fungal predominant or yeast predominant environment going on in our gut, and so that is then everywhere through through us. It's not just staying in our gut.
0: So, what's the <clears throat> what's someone eating? A pers- someone who has a, that sort fungal dominance in their gut and their maybe having some of those skin conditions and so on. What do they eat? What's their diet look like?
1: Um, often it would be, you know, a lot of uh, white bread type stuff, beer. They're two probably most common. But there's heaps of different things. Sugar. The yeast loves sugar. So high sugar diets will um, feed yeast. Honey. Oh, I know. It's but it's got medicinal purposes.
0: You can't, but you can't. Um, the great buddy Nico Plowman and Cartier um, were telling me, and I, it's the only thing I wish they hadn't told me is some time ago they said don't put honey in tea because um, as soon as it, it it's above a certain temperature, it kind of loses its. It's properties. It's like it's good Oh, is that right? Thing. Yeah, that makes sense, So maple actually. syrup um, is what they use in their tea. There you go. So when I see them, I just pretend I've been having maple syrup in my tea because I just love it. <laughs> yeah. but, but it does make sense, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's sugar. Um, and I remember a colleague that I was working with, she was reading um, uh, Sweet Poison at the time, um, the book, and it's pretty hard reading it's but it's an amazing book just hard reading
0: as it's very uh, science very science
1: based yeah yep. um and she had cut out a lot of the fruit in her diet and even at that point I was like you're mad and she said it's the sugar and then I went and read the book myself and um it just you know it it obviously made sense with the all the glucose and fructose and all the rest of it it's all still sugar unfortunately um, so I, I do eat a low fruit fruit diet for that reason because I don't need to feed and if I'm being a little bit slack and I've been eating quite a lot of fruit and um, you know mangoes mangoes are a bit irresistible through summer <sighs> up
0: here yeah like the end like yeah one part of the year.
1: <laughs> I, seasonal. Yeah. It's one
0: good thing about seasonal eating.
1: Yeah. And it was just a reminder the early this year actually and I I went back to my doctor and I said, Ah, my skin, you know, it's starting to um sort of flake and peel on the sides of my just all of a sudden. On the sides of my feet. And he said, Yeah, your gut will be yeast predominant well not predominant, but high yeast again.
0: Because it was mango season. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And so, sure enough, that was exactly what it was. But and I'd been—damn you, doctors who know stuff! And I'd been really slack with the um, apple cider vinegar. So normally, I'd put apple cider vinegar in water before I eat Mm -hmm. and drink that, and just um, some uh, anti—just to lower the level of of yeast, basically. Um, Sheep have just gone to town.
0: Isn't it classic? Yeah. Tell me. Your, okay, let's get to the. the oh, so no, I finished no. finished a bit about the feedback loop, which I think oh, well, I'm oh, not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, do the feedback loop, and then I, wanna, <clears throat> I want to. I I'd love you to tell us. Um, what your what is going on over there? I'm not sure. They're all scratching around that baler. How are you put there? Wow. Um, your the feedback loop, and then what? What is your diet consist of? Because I mean, I'm thinking. Um, uh, whilst it's you, it, there's there's no doubt some principles in there as to why you do and don't eat things, which, yep. I mean, I imagine even for those without rheumatoid arthritis, arthritis would be kind of maybe not a bad thing to consider.
1: Well, it's actually important for, I mean, our society has massive amounts of autoimmune disease now, massive amounts. And when we talk inflammation, it's even things, um, uh, you know, like ADD and... So if I have a food reaction, I call it a food reaction, but it's not really, but if I have had something while I've been away and it's had a preservative or something like that in it, or sugar, more sugar than normal, um, a couple of weeks ago I did it when we were travelling out to Emerald and we just grabbed sushi from a shop we didn't know, But um, and that was only the only real difference. Oh, and some hot chips, and it would have just been the carbs or goodness knows what, but... Um, And then I feel scatty. So I often think of this when um, uh, I, you know, hear stories about kids with ADD uh, and the things that they do, Um, and it's pretty much... Dog, you're being a nuisance. Um, It's pretty much just... I get to a point <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, If she wasn't so cute, you'd get angry at yes. her. Yes. Just those eyes. And his puppy eyes.
1: Border collie,
0: hey? Yeah, no, sneaky.
1: Um it, yeah. And I, I feel quite, I call it the heebie-jeebies, but I literally feel like I'm i am my he, in my head. I'm bouncing all over the place and I can't concentrate. And if I'm trying to sit down to do work, I, you know, I do a bit and I can't get a good run at it. I don't feel settled or calm and, um, yeah, just can't concentrate. And I, it's, very much the symptoms of attention deficit disorder when I'm like that. And then if I'm eating really, really well, that all just goes away. And it just it just reinforces for me all the time that if that's doing that to me as an adult and as an adult that who's very aware of it, when I'm feeling like that and the sugar or whatever it has, with my feedback loop, you know, got to my brain and everything's gone slightly mad for a couple of days. If I can't concentrate and I'm feeling a bit wound up and anxious, imagine what all these kids, animals, whatever it might be, how it's affecting them, all that nutrition. And the animal, it's its the same with the animals as well. It's anything. But with anything that we basically put into our bodies and ingest um, and is being digested, Um, to do with um, whether it be sugars or whatever the outputs are that our little microbes are doing. Um, I don't actually know how to explain this best, but... Um, there's signals then being sent or transmitted or the through the biochemical pathways that um, that then coming to our brain and our brain is then saying right, I've got all of that and um, now I'm running out of it and now I want more,
0: more. So, the, so, so the, the, because those that proportion or that population of microbes in the gut <clears throat> who are um, uh, their job or their, their their tendency is to digest that type of food yeah and their, their population grows a little, and they 're going
1: we want more we want more. We are more because
0: we are more yep. we need to maintain our population yeah that 's fascinating that it can actually um, a little bug or bugs mm-hmm. i guess there 's millions, billions of them. Can actually influence the thinking mm. through biochemistry mm. to then get the person to physically
1: it's the Grab, grab yeah. another
0: one of those things. It's yeah. fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's like that's some pretty—that's like that's pretty intelligent kind of. Um,
1: we are microbes.
0: We are. Aren't we there was <laughs> We're something. By our there's microbes. more cells of microbes in us than, mm. than our own cells, mm. aren't there? Something yep. crazy like that. Yeah. But to have that, to be able to to to, to essentially make us unconsciously. Mm. Just get want, more want of what they want
1: yeah yeah
0: it's like a, it's, it's not parasitic, but it's kind of mm. close to it, isn't it?
1: yeah, in a way, our little army that actually controls us
0: <laughs> and, and so just on that before getting to your diet, I don't want to forget that one is um, so when when that feedback loop is happening, and that's just the dietary one right mm-hmm. and then you've also got stuff happening in your world mm-hmm. that's, i mean I'm, I'm sort of referencing you, but I guess as a, as a human, and this this happens to probably. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, um, whether you're aware of it or not. So you've got the feedback loop that's potentially not good for you because you've gone and had the chips or the whatever, and you kind of just you've sunk back into some old habit. You then might have be sideswiped with an external event. Yep. Um, bit of stress. I don't know. A bit of stress. A bit of not enough sleep. Mm-hmm. A bit of whatever. Sleep's I mean, sleeps a huge. Sleep one. Yeah. And then to sort of how does one is it a conscious? Is it unconscious? How do we, how do, how did, how does one um, kind of methodically snap out of that? That it's an, it's an internal feedback loop, but it's probably an external feedback loop mm. as well. As we say, you know, as, as is, um, you know, set off and you are what you eat. <clears throat> and Hamish, you know, he's, he said, and I love this one, he says, you eat what you are. Yes. <laughs> like if you are feeling like shit, you will eat shit food.
1: Absolutely. And I've, 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 and when he said that the other day, that really resonated because I thought, oh, I've lived that too many times. Mm. Yep. And because you are, you're craving. And then once you start down that path, then you it's much harder to go back the other way.
0: Do you have any tips on kind of breaking that, that cycle, whether it's the food cycle or the mental cycle? Of, um, of that, oh, that situation. I think
1: it's, for me um, having someone who was keeping you a bit accountable was important and for me that was this doctor um, and him putting it on my son to keep an eye on what mum was putting in the fridge and getting out of the fridge. So we just...
0: We <laughs> did, just... He, did he give Cooper a little camera to put on the wall <laughs> near the fridge? <laughs> <laughs> he could just take it, like a wildlife camera.
1: It was really quite cute, but it, it actually it resonated with me. And Cooper would, would say, hey, Mum, <laughs> should you be eating? Because <laughs> he'd been living it for years and he knows exactly, because when he was little, if he was sick, um, and I'd say to him, so what do you think you've eaten? And we'd have the just chat around it and, well, we probably better avoid that again then, don't we? And just let him learn the lesson a bit, not just it, it always be an absolute no. Mm. Um, And I've done the same with myself to try and work out what is and isn't okay. But pretty much um, for me I had to just stop buying it. So I wouldn't buy food when I was out and we would only put in our fridge what it was we were supposed to be eating. And veggie garden. um, And, you know, through a lot of our winters, I'm not very organised this year having um, pretty much just moved back here full time, but um, most winters we eat straight out of the veggie garden. We've got our own grass-fed lamb, um, grass-fed beef, mm. and um, so we know the providence of that and what it's been, had its whole life and where it's come from and that, you know, that that is actually nutritional and in its own way um, got its own medicinal properties. It's not just a chunk of beef that tastes like beef or lamb. Um, and, yeah, it's it's feeding um the soil for the nutrition for the plants for then our own nutrition and it's not just a case of i'm eating healthy it's finding nutritious food that's chemical free and the only way you, you can ever know 100 percent that that is the case is to grow it in your own backyard yeah um so that's been but i you know i love getting my hands in the dirt that's therapy for me um and love growing things and watching things grow that, um, that to me, it just just doesn't get any better, whether it be animals or plants, um, is watching it's life, I guess, you know, seeing, seeing life evolve, but, um, yeah, breaking that, uh, it is hard. And I can see why a lot of people do quit. And for me, I ended up in the fetal position on the bathroom floor. That's sort of sick. So, um, that there was no going back to that but you shouldn't have to get to that sort of point um to have to do that and it was lifestyle so I sold out of the clinic I just started making choices um I just thought, no, I'm making this, uh, it, it's not pleasant working with me. I don't like working with me at the moment. <laughs> so if I don't like it couldn't really escape with, you. No. Yeah. And um, I thought if I don't like working with me, these girls are definitely not <laughs> going to be liking working with me at the moment. And I just, I got to a point where I didn't like that person and I knew that I had previously been, someone who was happy and, you know, had been nicknamed Smiley and, and that sort of thing was in the back of my head the whole time. But I had to keep hanging on to that to know that I could go get back to that and I'd been healthy before. Um, and then this time I was going to do it better and I have and I've managed and like I said now, 18 months medication free. So, But I just started making choices and listening to podcasts and um, reading and researching, listening to my doctor and actually carrying out what he was telling me to do. Um, and But the first thing for me was just don't stock the fridge with stuff that you shouldn't have. Don't
0: tempt yourself.
1: Yeah, clean out the cupboards yeah. and... Um, just because it's only Cooper and I, um, that was fairly simple for us to do and that's a comment I hear from a lot of people that, oh, it's fine for me but then it's in the house for the rest of the family. I'm like, no, the whole family can do it. Mm. I said, why would, um, if you want to be that healthy, ever, have your whole family that healthy. Um, and for me that's a no-brainer but it's simple for me to say that when it's just me and one kiddo. But, um, yeah, he's been a massive, uh, he just, Lesson because his gut flora now is just that's just how it is. It's so in tune that he just doesn't even want any of that stuff. It's not there's no 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 negative feedback loop. No.
2: Looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey? Come join Charlie and his guests around the kitchen table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnott.com.au forward slash the kitchen table. And if you're not totally satisfied with the value of your membership and wish to cancel it within the first two months, we will give you a full 100% refund, no questions asked. Now let's get back to this week's episode.
0: No. So tell me about um, Cooper's, um, do you think that his, you know, not sleeping and his allergies or kind of, um, uh, I guess allergies, if yeah, that's a good so. enough yeah. word for it, um, do you think that was because of, you know, your condition at the time when he was born or was it, was it environmental or how did that yeah, come about?
1: So it's um, probably a, combination of those factors. So um, rheumatoid arthritis obviously being an inflammatory condition, autoimmune, there's already that inflammation going around in my body during the pregnancy, so that's a factor. And that can um, be um, exhibited in a number of different ways and um, to to the extreme of um, nobody, obstetricians, nobody picking up on or remembering or recalling or whatever the fact that uh, rheumatoid arthritis in a mother can cause heart block in a baby at birth, so, which resulted in Jeez. an emergency trip from Biloela to Rockhampton via road in full labour um, because someone finally tweaked that that could happen and they didn't have the facilities to so deal heart, with that. What's heart block? So their heart stops as they're born because it, um,
0: the, the it doesn't trigger.
1: Of- yeah, yeah, and they need a pacemaker put in immediately.
0: Wow! Yeah. So they found they, that someone worked that out just before he was born. No? What, what, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And you, what did you or someone else? No,
1: I I was oblivious, I um an, I was unaware of that particular fact. I knew a lot of other stuff, but that one I didn't. Um and yeah, so that was an emergency trip to Rockhampton yeah. then. And to, he was to... born with heart heart issues, heart arrhythmia, and spent three three days in ICU. But it he was a big, robust 4.4-kilo baby, so he um, took over and they just kept sending ECGs through to Brisbane and and then um, it just all levelled out and he's been, ha- they thought he had a murmur 12 months later and then it's all just sorted itself out, that side of it.
0: And not sleeping for three years, that's kind of challenging for everyone.
1: Yep, so um, he, from about three months old, um, started... We, well, he was always a bit – It didn't sleep very well from the beginning, but um, colicky, but a very colicky baby, um, and just started with well, – during the day he'd be quite good. It was then at night after while he was digesting all the food we later worked out. So while he was eating it, not a problem. And myself, I'm a bit the same. Often it's 24 hours later or the next morning that I wake up with the head and
0: the – If you've eaten something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: well. um, and so, but he was getting, um, you know, more and more bloated and just um, really crotchety and he'd wake up just blood-curdling scream in the middle of the night and... Um, but otherwise a happy baby. So there was this real contract, like he knew it was pain-related. Um, and that was pretty constant for three years as we went through all of the steps of trying to work out what it was.
0: Um, and you, you were working in the clinic then too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was working as a vet. Um, and thankfully I had um, mum and dad um, for support. And um, we were um, we were living with them and I couldn't have done it without mum because he was just um, uh, just the lack of sleep, really. Um, and every everyone gets out as parents, but when you've got a baby that just screams nonstop for two or three hours um, and you can't no matter what you do. So we went through the process of allergy testing and um, food challenge testing and uh, all you know, all sorts of different things. And in the end, um, because he was getting more and more sort of um, bloated, like he looked like a... (laughs) <laughs> little munchkin man,
0: but, um, you know,
1: skinny arms and legs and then this belly. He looked, he looked like, um, the you know, a beer drinker. That's what he looked like. And it was all to do with um, just like a beer drinker. It's the yeast production yeah. and all of that sort of stuff that was going on. And by the time they eventually sent me down to Brisbane with him um, to a gastroenter- pediatric gastroenterologist and specialist, um, and I went through all of the stuff that we were doing with him, um, the specialist said to me, oh, you've pretty much got it worked out.
0: I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you've got it worked out? Yeah. Yeah. And you had? Yeah, we yeah, did. And his diet was yep. on track.
1: Yeah, so he was gluten-free, dairy-free. I had a goat that I milked, and he was reared on goat's milk, uh, made fresh cheese, and um, and then eventually, which um, is <laughs> a time factor, but we – Coconut milk and um, coconut products and yeah, like my
0: tummy growling.
1: Yeah. <laughs> totally it's your go. fasting. You, it's, my it's fasting. your autophagy in full swing.
0: Is autophagy that so? That's a good thing. Yeah, at least I guess if it's if it's bubbling like that, it means there's there's room, there's not food, it's air or it's changing. It's what's happening there.
1: I don't know. It's telling you you're
0: hungry. <laughs> I'm actually not actually too hungry. No. It's good. I mean, always talking food is making me a little bit hungry. <laughs> but as I said the other day, it's more the water factor. If, mm-hmm. I'm, not, if I'm thirsty, i I'm kind of get hungry. Yep. Um, there, uh, now, okay, so... Uh, diet. Let's get to the diet thing. like am going to have cups in the front of them.
1: <laughs> um, well, a lot of mine has just been a flow on from Cooper's and as we touched on before, whether um, how Cooper might have ended up with his intolerances. There's a, a mm, bit of a yes. family history there um, of um, gluten sensitivity, you know, great aunts and that sort of thing. So it's not just a very recent um with the changes in all of the types of wheat and goodness knows, but GMO and oh, all the rest of it, yeah. um, Roundup. But it's um, there is a little bit of a family history there, and um, then hey, mine's going out in concert. Was that before.
0: yours? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, you know, I, for a second I thought that was. Ha- it sounded like Hamish. <laughs> it, sound, it seriously sounded like Hamish was talking. Is it <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Uh, well, well, Duo. Our, our
1: autophagy <laughs> is now working. We're getting rid of the dead cells. What's cell. autophagy? So, um, it's a
0: big, big vet word.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's kind of in the human world um, yeah. more so now. Uh, so it's the sh- it's the process, the point. Sorry, where you get to where your body has the chance to shed all those old cells, repair and. Um, you so you go into it's just a, a name for that timing, I guess. Because
0: um, food's not in there being mm, digested, it's it's yeah, it's it's free of that that role it yep. needs to play.
1: Yep. So it's basically um, when your body can chew up and get rid of all the dead cells, old cells, and clean out and repair mm. and rest. So if you um, have a period where you don't eat for fourteen hours, and then. Um, oh. The mic, yeah. and then we there's a two. You need at least a two hour period there where it can go into autophagy, where it can do you have that repair period with no carbs, foods, anything in there. So your your black tea is fine, and your black coffee is fine. Ah, so oh, but no, so the no honey. honey, honey. What about milk? <laughs> or milk what about milk? No, cause no it's milk. Got the um, protein and the
0: and the co- so coffee, so like a cafe latte at ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah.
1: It's fine if you eat at six the night before as your last meal. Oh,
0: okay. So you, have, uh, you, so you still need that fourteen hours?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, at six, least. it's 16. sixteen and eight. So by fourteen, everything's digested and sort of out of your system and gone, mm. and then that gives your body the two hours to go into autophagy and 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 get all your repair work underway.
0: So the earlier the earlier you have, if you do under the, the the fasting, the earlier you have the dinner, mm-hmm. the sooner you can have. Yeah. Even just a coffee, which I guess maybe.
1: Oh, no, you can have coffee and tea at any time. But no, something more the dairy. Like the nice coffee.
0: Yeah, (laughs) like the fancy coffee. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, so black tea, yeah, anything without the dairy in it. And you said you had um, uh, apple cider vinegar. Is that your first thing for the morning?
1: Yeah, before I eat. So uh, then half an hour before I eat, I have apple cider vinegar in water or lemon or lime. Fresh lemon
0: or lime in water. So, you don't have that. um, So, when you get up, this is getting a bit clinical, but it's it's, no, but I kind of like it because it's you know, I hear it and I I do it sometimes and and then go, Oh, that didn't work. But so, because I often have um, apple cider vinegar um, as the first thing I put in my. You might have water to flush and do a gargle and um, yeah, because the toxins kind Mm. of overnight in your mouth and like get rid of that and have a drink of water and then have. all, did you know? What yeah, to do the the, yeah, the yeah, um, yeah. what's it called the um, for your mouth? Draw now. What's it called? There's a word draw for Draw the
1: that. toxins out. Yeah, I yeah. know what you're talking about.
0: It's anyway. Someone will tell us. Um, apple cider vinegar as kind of the first or the second thing to put in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do that? You do you do that before you eat, so you could do that at yeah. lunchtime.
1: I do you, before every meal. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and what if does that not, do? I do lemon or lime juice in water, fresh.
0: Half an hour before you eat. Yeah. And what's that do? So
1: it's, it's stimulating um, all the acids and the um, processes basically in your gut that you need ready going to digest your food. And it primes it up. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's a stimulatory type thing, but it's also obviously apple cider vinegar has got massive health benefits, and by having it on an empty stomach, your stomach's got free rein to absorb just that. Um, without being all mushed up and in amongst everything else. So it's absorbed in its pure form and then it just goes, it's in your system and it it goes to work. So, And with me um, having a tendency to, with, you know, very little input that might grow yeast but to tip toward yeast a lot of the time and end up with dermatitis and various other things, that just helps to keep that all... um, at a level yeah. that um, stops me from doing that. Awesome. And we're all different. Um, yeah, and that's my. Boss this is tendency.
0: don't take this as a doctor. Was it what do they say on those shows? <laughs> this is not medical advice. Consult your <laughs> doctor. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but no, fair call. It is. It is. It works for you. But I mean, again, there's some general principles. That, oh,
1: absolutely. You yeah,
0: know, should generally work for, for for most people. Yeah. So, so a bit of a flush or a bit of a primer with apple cider vinegar, mm-hmm. and then. What you you don't have, dairy, don't have um, uh, gluten,
1: don't have much grain either, like really either. Um, it's just so we, if we're using you know, if we're cooking pikelets or something, it's almond meal and um, Mm. coconut flour and and that sort of thing that we make our our stuff up out of. Um, arrowroot, I've got some um of that growing in the garden. I'm Our s- Yeah. Um, there you go. What's the, oh, I'm having a complete blank, but um, cassava. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be um, interesting come harvest time because I, you know, don't want to end up. The toxicity
0: stuff, right? But Oh, so you've got it's a, yeah, a bit of treatment.
1: Yeah, yeah. do you, it's there's just a process. I've got to do more research, yet,
0: yeah. But it's obviously Yeah, can you make can you do the research please? As <laughs> well mild, obviously, because it's used well Oh mild. Sheree, can I do a second episode? And you're like, No.
1: Nah,
0: <laughs> no, I'm I'm am 'cause I'm unprocessed. <laughs> so that you can make uh, like a like a flower out of mm, that, can you? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Um, but no, so there's lots of different options, but these days when Cooper was little, it was a bit more challenging. Um, but in the last few years, there's so many different alternatives and we have a lot of, um, nut based type stuff, I yeah. guess, not legume nut as in peanut, um, legumes, I've got to make sure they're soaked and, and that sort of thing for me, um, cause they are inflammatory, can be inflammatory for me.
0: If they're not soaked, or? Yeah, you by just need soaking to... them and
1: starting that um, sprouting process, that sure. sort of negates that. Um, beans are uh, the same, um, being, leg- being a legume. But, yeah, we just stick to a lot of vegetables because I can't have high sugar content, and none of us should, especially anyone with any sort of inflammatory-type disease, you know, diabetes, any sort of autoimmune stuff, um, right through to, um, you know, all the massive links that research is now showing with um, Alzheimer's and, you know, there's such a massive scale of diseases that are linked to sugar being one of the massive ones, but also... um, you know, preservatives, carbohydrate, massive carbohydrate. Um, So we just try and eat lots of veggies. We don't buy potatoes anymore. Um, It's all sweet potatoes and grow pumpkins and um, zucchini and whatever we can grow in the garden, lots of greens and just trying to keep it a bit balanced and we're a bit hit and miss, but we just make sure that, um, every time the opportunity arises, not only are we just eating healthy, but we're actually feeding our body, um, with that nutrition. So just making sure I've got a herb garden going out there. So we, um, you know, we chuck in a bit of, Rosemary and oregano and whatever we can grab from out there is going in as well with all of the herbal stuff and, um, you know, the like I said, the veggie bake that we I cooked the other night for you guys. I'm awesome. like, Did you realise you just had a whole heap of turmeric? Jerry, <laughs> yeah. <it was> awesome.
0: <laughs> all through it all. yeah And you've even got the um, – I'm going to get it wrong again. It's not um, bam, bam, it's gumby gumby.
1: Gumby gumby,
0: yep. Gumby gumby, that's a native. Yep. And that's got medicinal kind of yep. stuff going on too.
1: Yep. Yeah, so that's massive cool. medicinal properties that – um, yeah, our, our um, indigenous people have used for
0: ever and a day. For, yeah, mm. wow. Um, so I just want to think. Anything, anything else with the food thing? Um, yeah. So sort of some basic principles there. What about? Um, oh, so no carbs. Well, not 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 no carbs, but like the, sort of not the not the nasty carbs. The I and just know. And
1: I think the the be- easiest rule is um, just make it from real foods. And even when I'm really time poor, um, we, we just grab whatever we can out of the garden and out of the fridge and you just chuck a bunch of veggies in the oven or uh, we um, our quick go-to is just sweet potato mash and steamed veggies with whatever meat will defrost fast enough. <laughs> Without, we don't own a microwave, so it's just however we can get it done. If Mama's
0: disorganized with food, which is the case, we have had some delicious scraps for the last few nights. <laughs> I've got to say, it's been so good. Let's go to um, to out there in the paddock. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a bit of a tour this morning, and um, you know, just maybe give us a bit of a. Oh no, hang on. Oh, there's there's um, before we go out there, I want to just. Make sure we're covering your kind of regenerative journey. So, so the, the fetal position in the bathroom, that was a bit of a turning point. Yeah. Um, improved diet, improved kind of maybe some lifestyle choices and work environment and kind of
1: meditation.
0: Meditation. Which was right.
1: via one of your podcasts, believe yeah. it or not. That's yeah. lovely. Fantastic.
0: Yep. Um, Thank you, Nico Plowman.
1: Yeah, and Sarah Wilson, actually, because it was her, I think, podcast because I don't listen to them in order. I'm
0: I'm How oh, rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is no order.
1: No. Um, and she'd mentioned that, um, and I think she went to Nico Plowman. Is that the case?
0: I think she did. It was either yeah. Tim Brown or Nico, but they oh, knew. Yeah, sort they of met, met in the same group, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then I listened to Nico Plowman's one, and then I went online and just found as much information as I could and found um, a lovely lady, Natalie Martiner, who has the most amazing laugh um, I have ever come across. That's what I was met with when I stepped out of the car um, and found her um, based at the Gold Coast and sort of Byron what's splits herself between the two. Um, and so contacted her and headed down. I think it was right when I maybe sold out of the vet clinic or... No, it must have been um, soon after my brother died. And um, so, headed down there, and because, and she's a a single mum as well, and I had Cooper with me, and because um, being a single mum, so she taught Cooper for nothing as well, which was amazing. So, spent um, a few hours each day for three days with her, um, going through all the rituals and the ceremony, and her, um, teaching me Vedic meditation. And, um, I decided that I needed to do it one-on-one because I wouldn't have the same, um, opportunity to be able to just drop back in for the refresher courses. Um, but she she, touched, she touches base with you regularly um, soon after. And and I was really, really brilliant with it. And
0: oh, yeah. What's it, autophagy? <laughs> yes. I'm, 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 I'm off, off, autophagy right now. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so that – and for me, okay. I, only a matter of – I've done yoga for, I don't know, eight or nine years or something like that, and prior to that, Pilates while I was living in the UK. Um, but – I was always very much a uh, very sporty and um so it was you have to do physical stuff for it to be exercise um and to get the benefits from it and um I'm so much more now a case of um, that health and exercise is as much about exercising the brain and the mind as the physical body. Um, and for me that would have been all hoodoo voodoo as would have your biodynamics course <laughs> not that many years ago. Um, and, yeah, that, all those interlinkages and um, it's old world type stuff that we think is all new and fantastic in a lot of ways, but, it's all you know, it's been there centuries and centuries. But the reason it's been there is because it um, it has a role and a place and can be um, very, very important. And it's been a big part of my um, road to better health. And, and Nat said to me that um, one of the things I'll notice first is that I'm not getting sick as in picking up colds or flus or mm. that sort of thing. Um, and the next thing you'll notice is that, because we talked a lot about my sort of background history and how I'd got to the point of being where I was um, and my um, illnesses. And um, she said, and the next thing you'll notice is that you're not feeling the need to react to other people. So instead of taking on board um, whatever it is that's coming your way from other people, you'll um, you'll just innately without effort um, be able to um, stop that reactive type process and it just will flow over you. And I thought, oh, God, I don't know if I'll ever get to that point. Um, but it's absolutely true and been the case where... I don't feel the need don't feel the need to be defensive or react when especially when I get a bit slack with it I can feel that building a bit again which is really fascinating all um, that and I'm aware that I might be starting to be a bit more reactive and then once I get back into the practice and do my 20 minutes morning and night I um, yeah, the any sort of anxiety um, and even just thought processes as far as being able to order what I've got to do for the day or something as simple as that. But, yeah, I, I stopped getting, well, not stopped, I still do get them, but I'd be the last to get a cold or mm. the last. Yeah, so just giving your body a chance to actually do what it can do and heal.
0: Well, well um, Nico talks about the the sort of the, I can't think quite how it expresses it, but the, the movie of your life or the you know the, the story of your life is like in a cinema mm. and you can choose and we often do spend a lot of time in the front row and it's right there and it's big and it's loud and it's kind of you're looking at all the detail and it's just, but then through meditation you, you sort of start to sit further and further back in the cinema and you get to take it all in,
2: yeah.
0: in from a much more kind of um, not a safe position but a much more, not not even controlled position but just in a more managed sort of way. Yeah and you're not reactive because you're not right up at the screen Mm. seeing all the stuff going on and being pounded with sound and noise and colour and life and stuff, you know. So,
1: and it's just so much busyness. And we actually talked about, um, we touched on social media even and the addictive nature of that and TV and all of those things and how when you're feeling, and it's, I guess, another feedback type loop, but when you're feeling, uh, or as um, Hamish was saying, you know, when, what did he say, when you feel... like eating something, but when you're feeling bad, you eat something bad.
0: Oh, yeah you, yeah, you eat what you are. You eat what you are. Yeah.
1: And it's that same sort of um, analogy um, again, you know. With, yeah, you
0: watch with what it. you're thinking or you're kind of, if you're in that, you're talking about in regard of social media.
1: Yeah, so yeah. Um, with the social media, once you start on it or anything, TV, it's that addic- addictive type nature of how it's all been programmed these days and that was explaining to me about you know with that scrolling um and then how that draws you in and then it becomes an addictive type thing and then you feel discontent because everyone else's lives look amazing or you Mm. feel discontent because someone's got traumas going on that they're airing all over social media so no matter which way you look at it and it does have many amazing you know, the purposes to it. But it, it, again, it comes down to personality type and that too as to wh- how we, the different personality types react to that kind of mm. stimulus and what's going on. And once we had that discussion, she said you'll find, as you move through, you'll find less of that um, pull and that need and it's just, again, sort of to do with the feedback loops but in a completely different different sort of scenario.
0: So meditation, food, yoga, mm-hmm. Um Walk the dogs. Walk the dogs. And so dogs. N- into nature, and, and let's get to the to the um, to what we're looking at now, which is a beautiful part of nature, and no doubt has been contributed to to your healing. Mm-hmm. I suspect, um, given the energy you put into it, but the, but I think the joy the joy you're getting out of it. Um, tell us about what you've you know what you've done here and why. I know we said touched on it earlier, but like maybe a bit more detail without yeah. all the all the secrets. But um, kind of, you know, the general the general intention you have for it, and, and what what this what you want this to sort of become.
1: Um, so I guess the for um, me, I spent a bit of time in Zimbabwe um, doing some wildlife work, and that was where I first saw um some of Alan Savory's stuff in action um they were making fire breaks using cattle uh just high high density trampling. they've got the manpower to do it moving them every hour um and for me that was a bit mind-blowing and you know no machinery obviously but that was the fire breaks around the national park um so I was based near Victoria Falls a lot of the time and Then there was a vet um, that I met that had come out to elephant camp where I was uh, working with the orphan elephants and she just would spend time um, monitoring the behaviour of this elephant group that they were trying to put together of um, various age elephants that had been orphaned from poaching um, and trying to create this community scenario, um, which was obviously a bit problematic because then you had the human factor in there and all the rest of it and it's not... Yeah. There's a, they were trying to see if a matriarch could step up. Um, so she was monitoring all of that. And, um, and then I found out that she was actually not really doing vet work anymore and there was a bit of a comment about how that's such a waste of time and that she was from someone else and that she was um, just on a farm, you know, south of Vic Falls just doing this, you know, holistic management stuff where they just move animals around all the time. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. So this is back in 2008. And um, it was smack in the middle of their massive economic crash where they were still on Zimbabwe dollars. But if you got Zim dollars out that morning, you had to use them that day or the next day. They, you may as well have just chucked them down the street. They were worth nothing. And we had trillion dollar notes um, by the time I left.
0: Um, How an economy even works at that sort of like out our day-to-day change of, excuse me, my autophagising. Um, that's just. Mob- I mean, that's the stuff that happened in Germany in the mm. first or second Second World War, wasn't it?
1: Corruption no, at its best, um, and just really um, sad because it was a fully. I don't really like the word self sufficient, but a fully self sufficient country. Um, mm. It had everything from minerals to amazing pasture and cropping and the wildlife and, um, yeah. But it you know it is what it is in Africa's Africa, so. Um, but still, a fascinating country. And my my grandparents, my mum's Zimbabwean and that's the link there. And my grandparents were still there at that point. Um, and I just happened to sort of step into that little spot because they couldn't get um, get help, and the economy was crashing. And I just put word out that I was a vet and wanting to hang out, and that was where I ended up. So doing some anti poaching stuff and chasing buffalo and warthog and elephants <laughs> through the bush. Wow. Um, Amazing experience and some amazing people and um, uh, yeah, stuff that I'll I'll never forget. Which ended up with me on a project um, TB and foot and mouth testing a thousand village cattle and a um, hundred uh, wild African buffalo, which would get darted from choppers, and um, I was part of the ground crew.
0: You were telling me the, the other day about the giraffe, like yeah. From a- Pull a giraffe. Giraffe. <laughs> you tell us that one. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, the, habit, um, the, 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 the habits of giraffe
1: and anaesthetics it's a, yeah. a little bit a little bit challenging. Um, yeah, well, I, on a dangerous um, drugs course in Zimbabwe for capture and um, um, treatment, obviously. But obviously, there is a, a wildlife trade there with the the. Um, um, game farms um, but so it was a little bit to do with that in a game farm scenario and making it safe but uh, there was a lot of vets and the likes on this um, course that did um, wildlife work and Yeah, so we're split into groups and I was split for this particular part of the course and I was um, put on the giraffe group, which um, for me, I didn't really know what I was getting into, Um, but so they're darted generally from choppers, most of the wildlife, um, just because of trees and practicalities and often though when we were doing the actual snare work um, where we had to go in to remove snares, that was always on the ground. Um, but when projects are on the go like that, it's normally a bigger scale thing. And, um, so yeah, choppers and often a plane over the top so that while we're all on the ground with ground crew, um, someone's keeping an eye out for lion or God knows what other buffaloes coming in. I've had, you know, few of us ended up up trees at various points, but, um, the this particular one, I was put on the group for the giraffe, it was started, and giraffe uh, have this amazing metabolism um, and just a survival sort of instinct. So they keep running um, despite being tranquilized, and it's just it's just like an automated thing where they just keep on running. Um, so you have a crew that's on the back of a ute, and we've got these big heavy-duty ropes and about five or six people that are going to be on either end of it, and tearing through the termite mounds and the bush and you just have to hang on because the driver's half mad because they know they've got to keep up with this giraffe. Um, And then hit the brakes and all pile out and the one group's got to run around the front of the giraffe and giraffe are amazing with their four legs. They can strike in every direction with all four legs. Um, So team around the front, they run the rope around the other side, other team on this side. And then why it's all practiced and synchronized beforehand?
0: Yeah, made a fee. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and you one, see, you've done some kind of ducks. like
0: briefing on yeah, how to do this. Yeah, we
1: did it, you know you do a run beforehand, and some of the group have always done it. You know they've done it before. They're just back for refreshes, and then there's a couple of newbies they'll throw in on each mm. each course. But um, and one team ducks and runs under the rope, and the other team keeps running. You cross over and then start pulling out and just pull all their four legs in together until they topple. And as you can imagine, a giraffe coming down from way up there, there's a massive change in pressure and, um, yeah, just that whole falling. So the minute they hit the ground, you've got to reverse the anesthetic, the tranquilizers. Um, Otherwise, with the pressure change from their head to their heart, their heart can't pump. Up to their head, so reverse the anaesthetic straight away. Blindfold on, ear, ear muffs in, and then the, they just lie there. And then when you get them up, you can have your ropes and, and blind. Uh, do we have a blindfold off? But ear muffs still in, and you can actually walk a giraffe for miles and miles and miles.
0: Which, blindfolded, blindfolded. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm t- trying to remember if we had the blindfold off. I think we did, but they had the ear muffs in.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. And, they, and, they, and they they're calm enough to do that then.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, with wow. the ropes on, yeah,
0: yeah. So, Fantastic. Yeah,
1: very interesting experience and, um, yeah, it was rhino um, for dehorning a lot of the time as a preventative measure for the poaching. Um, but, yeah. No, most oh, of so take
0: no, the horns off so there's nothing to poach. There still
1: is and they still will if they're desperate because they actually then cut down to get. The base, oh, yeah. but um, it is a deterrent because they don't have that.
0: The know. big yeah, the um, prize hundreds
1: of thousands worth of dollars
0: of yeah, not the, of what is it keratin? It, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so that was was that that when you heard about this lady and her um, moving animals around, and that was kind of the 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 first yeah. part of your oh grazing differently and. Using animals as a tool—is that where that's going? Yeah,
1: and so um, this vet that had been working on the farm with—that uh, was quite a big operation, um, by the sounds of it—with using all the holistic management techniques of Alan Savory's, I think Alan—it must have been one of his original um, places. He must have had a hand yeah. in, um, and from what I can work out from the um, what I was told. Um, And, yeah, so I just spoke to her quite a bit while she was around um, and that in combination just really sparked my interest. And we've always been quite environmentally conscious at home. Um, Like I said, mum and dad were wildlife carers. Dad's made islands in the dam and all that sort of thing. But we we certainly weren't um, beyond overgrazing in a drought. Um, ending up with a scenario where we did have paddocks that had way less ground cover than they should have and just all those sort of trappings that you end up caught up by. And um, when I came back to the farm um, after travelling and, you know, being in Zimbabwe and whatever else and then ended up moving back home in 2009, um, that was when I, I guess, I wasn't fully involved. I was running sort of the stud but not fully involved in the farm um, and I was working as a vet. And then uh, five, four or five years ago, just through various circumstances with my brother and, and dad's help, dad had prostate cancer and various other things, I ended up back on the farm and then sold out of the clinic and went on the farm full time. Um, and through that, um, and it was prior to – That was a little bit of my decision to sell out of the clinic as well because um, I'd already started down that regen pathway. I was involved in a um, trial with Fitzroy Basin Association with multi species pasture um, and biofertiliser through regen ag. And um, so, with that, all of that sort of um, knowledge that I was starting to gain and implement. That just really was the catalyst for it. There'd always been stuff that we'd been doing along the way, but then we really kicked it up a notch being able to put... um Biologicals out through the irrigation, and pretty much every time we ran the irrigation, we made sure that the, um, the, it was fairly random, I guess, with how I did it. But I always made sure I had 10,000 litres of um, some sort of biologicals ready to go. Yeah, some sort of brew, um, humates, fish emulsion. Um, Uh, pretty much whatever I could get my hand on. We then went to guano, planting with guano and um, prilled gypsum because we are high magnesium soils um, here on our cracking black soil. Um, And so they're tight and we, you know, need those bigger balls in there in that mineral structure. So we went to... um, because we can't, we have spread gypsum in the past, but to try and change it just for the plant and then let the plant do the rest of the work, we went to putting at planting the prilled gypsum and the and the guano down at planting, um, and then that just gives it its um there the you know the calcium um, and the nitrogen and phosphorus there ready for that little plant, and then you let the plant do the work with trying to change the soil and the mineral bioavailability. So. I guess it just kind of there's I don't know there's there's not really any one real trigger for me. It's been a bit of an organic type thing to come into where this is now a way of life, mm-hmm. um, and it's just something we do. And I just wanted we just keep wanting to expand and expand and do it better and better and um, with what we've got. And when I say expand and expand, I mean expand on our knowledge and the ways we're doing things, not on hectares. You know, we're not. I'm not in a, at a point where I'm trying to accumulate a lot more land. I'm trying to accumulate more body of grass and more growth and more diversity and better ecosystem health right here on what we've already got.
0: Um, so farming... Vertically, not horizontally. Yeah. Expanding.
1: Yes, like. yeah, exactly.
0: developing that way.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And um, so tell us more about how that, I mean, I guess the good news is you, you had something to get away from being the clinic and that sort of lifestyle and life. You had somewhere to go to, which at the time was probably attractive as a, you know, because of family and so on and the need, but also mm-hmm. the interest levels were kind of as you say, it was sort of happening organically. because, like, it was not like oh, I'm going to suddenly go on this mm. journey. It was more just interesting things came your way, and you obviously saw results, and um, and it, it felt good, and certainly it would have aligned with your um, your own health regenerative journey. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect. In, yeah. In, and it was there. Was there kind of a you know epiphany or a time, or was this a sort of a slow realization, or you always always had it that your I guess with your diet, you know, and food, um, that was your a focus. But growing food on your farm was that kind of? Um, did that feel like a, a, a heightened responsibility to do that? Given your own experience,
1: I think so. Um, I mean, Mum and Dad had veggie gardens on and off all the time when we were kids. Um, but now I've got to a point probably more so in the last few months and I've always tried to have veggie gardens, but where it's become a priority. So if I can't live and work and do what I'm doing and be able to have my veggie garden, um, and food coming into the house, how I want it, then I'm doing uh, my priorities aren't right. So... That has now become, because I hear so often, oh, I'd love to have a veggie garden, but I just don't have the time. And that has been me in the past. And now it's a case of um, if I don't have time for the veggie garden, then and growing our food and the little orchard we've got going and expanding that so I can then share with others. Um, If I don't have time for that, then I'm doing the rest of it wrong. Um, And so that has become more my focus now and that, is one to do, yes, definitely, with health and knowing the providence of our food, where it's coming from, what's gone into it, how the the soil's looked after and then hence hopefully the nutrition value of that food and not just a case of, yes, we're eating beetroot so it must be good. We actually know it is good because it's mineral dense and it's um, not full of chemicals and it's actually full of being grown in an environment where there's good microbes and all that biology and that's all been feeding those um, fruit and vegetables that we're, and I'm certainly not at a point yet where I know that's the case. I've got trees, lots of young stuff, obviously here that we can see and, like our poor little lemon tree over there that's absolutely loaded, but looking a little bit yellow and deficient. Mm. So it's just
0: but it's just near, it's near another citrus. It's really, yeah. really healthy.
1: Yeah, so and but mm-hmm. that one didn't, and I don't quite know what's going on yet. But I literally had a grass paddock that I dropped wood chip in rows on, and horse manure and straw, and then chuck trees in just to get stuff in and going. Mm. And I just thought I'll deal with the rest as I go. Um, and so now I've got biodynamic preps too, and, and I'm super excited. It'll be amazing.
0: Just on that one. And you mentioned it before, like a few years ago, you would, would I don't know, I can't remember what you said, you know, you may not have been as, as kind of embracing a biodynamics a couple of years ago. What, how does that kind of, how do you reconcile, um, your, I guess, pretty science, Based background vet farm kind of stuff, um, probably pretty subjective. Oh, sorry, objective mm. measurement, observation, yada yada. With what you've now heard in the last couple of days,
1: yeah, and which I is think...
0: probably not all new to you because you're doing probably some spooky wawas before. But like, <laughs> what was how? How does that sit to you, to you as a human with that background?
1: Yeah. Um... Very much, um, a, I guess, in some ways, a traditional um, science background, and where we always know that um, through research, you know, in science, that where there will always be changes and new discoveries, and all and I was always very aware of that. That just because it's written as this now doesn't mean that it's going to change, but um, that's just the nature of science and. I guess we compartmentalise everything because it's easier to try and understand it like that. And um, and Hamish talked about about that a lot, about things being in parts and when you don't look at the whole And um, because it's easier. And you do a bit of, you know, you do your biology here and your chemistry here, but you don't really blend them in together. And that's very much the case. Um, we do blend them in vet, but because you'll have an animal present that's got an issue and you've got to work through all of those possibilities to try and come up with a diagnosis and I often would say to clients that um unfortunately the animals don't read the textbooks because we'd get to a point where I'm like well there's more than one thing going on so this is where it gets complicated um but it just um Having that science background, which can be fairly polarizing, I guess at times when it comes to the spiritual type world, especially if you don't have a real um, religious or spiritual type background or upbringing. And I, I was brought up. My mum was is quite Christian. My dad, I guess, is an atheist. But and I just kind of fell somewhere in the middle. Um, so and. I guess it stems a little bit from that, but um, with many streams of science that's so factual like VET or medicine, um, it is then a little bit of a leap, I guess, of faith to then start taking on the lunar cycles and um, more the energy. And I guess I've, I've come to appreciate and what's helped me appreciate energy in the last um, probably four or five years um, to a much greater degree and through appreciating all sorts of energy and um, the all the stuff you can't see because I'm very a tangible, hands-on person and I need, if I can see it, I know it's real. If I can touch it, I was very, I love prac work because I can feel it, see it, touch it. But now um, I'm far more open to, and it's just all part of everybody's individual journey and that's different for everyone. Um, and I'm far more open to that now. So yeah, it, this last weekend, that was the right time for me. And one of the other fellows on the course said the same thing. It's the right time for him too. And he's gone similar sort of timing to me with all the regenerative. We've been seeing the changes in the landscape. We know what we're putting in as far as um, biological inputs or uh, natural sequence farming banks or leaky wheat, whatever it is that we might be doing. Um, so we know what we've done, but then there's so much more that's inexplicable that's happening. And that's where that um, was. It's a really fascinating for me. Lunar cycles, yes, I know. I have heard about them to do with planting and all the woo-woo stuff. But, yeah. prior to, yeah, but it actually made sense yesterday um, and the day before with how um, you guys put it together, and and that's what I was hoping for, and um, I'm really excited. And like Hamish said, we'll just start observing and then start to try and work it in um, to to make make this all work even better.
0: So, what are you see, what are you seeing in the landscape that in the last couple of years or you know whatever period of time is relevant? That you feel is, is an improvement, like you know, your hydrology, your biodiversity, your habitat, you know, the bird life, like what, what, what are some of the things that, um, well, maybe, maybe let's start with some of the things you've actually done or doing yep. in general terms, and then maybe what, 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 are the, what are you seeing as a result of that?
1: Um, so I guess we just kicked off, um, in a big way with the irrigated pasture at mum and dad's, because that was the easiest to get results quickly on with what I knew that I could implement and do. Um, and that was making biological, uh, brews, um, and mineral biofertilizers and getting them out through the irrigation because it was just down to ease of application. Um, uh, I've done various different sort of makes and models of that, whether they be native microbes or, or paunch or poo or whatever it is we can get our hands on to get nutrients and minerals back in into the soil and feed all our b- microbes and let um, them and the plants and the root systems do the work. So we went into uh, a lot of hay had been um, done on mum and dad's place for a number of years, so we went straight into one of their um, loosen. Um, hay paddocks and and it was a grassy leucine paddock and we drilled in um, uh, multi-species into that and then started with the biofertilizer trial and the biologicals and um, getting that on. And there was very little activity on the soil tests that were sent to ward labs in the States and various other labs. Um, I shouldn't say little activity, but there was no protozoa in the soil. Um, There was um, sort of a bacterial imbalance. We knew the soil was tight, high magnesium, black soils, and uh, often low zinc, um, low calcium. And just as a bit of a baseline, um, so we not so much focused on those things, but they were in the back of my mind every time we were doing something. So started there. Um, and then what we sort of There's no, and I think this is where people um, come a bit unstuck or get a bit maybe disillusioned or don't think it works, you don't get that beautiful hit and green flush and growth like you would with urea. And we didn't go cold turkey and we'd been told not to. We slowly decreased the urea uh, and decreased it and decreased our imports um, for those winter oat type crops um, and got back to um, 20, uh, sort of, 50 kilos a hectare and then back to 20 kilos a hectare urea and then back to 10. Um, and that was still, I'd just make sure it went through the fertigator in a different layer or different timing to the biologicals because it's quite damaging to those. Um, and had other mitigating factor things in there like um, humates to try and buffer it and so it was, but it was understanding how we could go about it. And it can get quite complicated when you head down those sorts of tracks where you're looking at all the sort tests. And it doesn't have to be that Complex to get a result, so we can all get a result with fairly simple things, and that's been very evident by doing your course over the weekend um, and what Hamish has set me up with this morning before he left, uh, <laughs> which is great after driving around the paddock um, to just you know get just get going with it, simple, inexpensive, and have quite a big impact, but not be expecting that massive bright green, beautiful flush of urea. Yeah. It's an organic thing, and it can be things like the leaf wide. Um, So you're getting more dry matter content if you're doing your feed squares and and measuring your dry matter content. And it's the weight then because the leaf's heavier and thicker and juicier and got higher bricks reading and sugars and it's wider. But it looks no different in the paddock to the naked eye essentially. Looking down, that was one of the biggest things to not look across the paddock. Look down um, so that you're seeing what your ground cover actually is, um, that's a massive one because it looks like we got fantastic grass but you've got massive gaps in between it all, at, you know, in various spots. Um, and just little tips and tricks like that that made it really sink in and made it easy to monitor the progress. We start, ended, got to a point where you have to wear glasses everywhere you're going because the insects are phenomenal. That, that for <laughs> me, was a
0: uh, good, good indicator. Yeah,
1: and lady seeing ladybugs and bees in um, the multispecies, but it's now happening in just the um, permanent grass pastures that have got, you know, legumes and other stuff that we're trying to diversify into them. Um And mustering finches unintentionally when you're, you know, when you're mustering (laughs) and you end up mustering these mobs of finches. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) That's clever. Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) It's just all those little indicators. And this morning when we went for the drive around the dam, I was, you know, telling you fairly excitedly how I only planted that pyrograss 12 months ago and now I've got wood ducks and we had a black swan and we had
0: magpie a, geese.
1: magpie geese and a big mob of Ibis down on mm. the paddock, which I hadn't seen before. Um, so that yeah. to me, no, not here at Mum and Dad's, yeah, but not here.
0: And they tend to like that more open, like we, we get them at home when their um, you know, country's been opened up a bit, yep. like at like Bear, so they can pick at the worms or whatever else, stick their beaks in the ground literally.
1: They were in the waddle though, which was interesting.
0: There's wattle there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, So I'm not sure what they're picking up. But, yeah, and this um, place had a, uh, like I said, it was a Parthenium and Indian Cooch block when I bought it, a lot of black wattle. Um, We did on this top country and a lot of flood flat. Um, We did on this top country um, take out and thin quite a lot of the black wattle just to try for the logistics of trying to get equipment through it. Um, We cropped it uh, with Dolichus and what else did we do? We did a rotational crop for two years anyway, barley, and yeah. um, just to try and get the soil sort of firing again and moving. Just
0: like a, like, like a pasture cropping, you just whacked it into yeah. what was there? Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, no, we actually, the one paddock we ploughed because it was okay. just such, um, so dense with um, sort of Gigi Burr and Indian Cooch and it was just the succession I was impatient <laughs> the succession yeah, I was going to take. Deal. And also not as aware then, I guess, of, um, so that was nine years ago, of what I am now and, and the methods um, available to be able to turn that around. Um, so, and very quickly um, we went away from that. So you can sort of see the progression from the front to, to the back of this place. So the back's still got massive amounts of black wattle on it. Um, and we had that bit of a chat this morning in Brigolo um, all, you know, through the creeks and that it was all bare and scalded under all the, uh, through the Brigolo and I had a massive area of sheet erosion and just clay exposure above the dam, what is now the dam here, which was a puddle. Um, and so we planted a Brigolo and Bohemia um, and uh, Blue Gum Belt to try and join up my original scrub um, down to the dam and creek to give that more. Um, uh, strength, I guess, that remnant patch of scrub, um, softwood scrub up here near my house because they have to be a minimum of two uh, uh, hectares, I think it is, minimum of two hectares to be biodiverse in their own right, um, a patch of
0: scrub. and Some birds don't. Wanna, no, they, they won't penetrate. Yeah. Or yeah, they need they need the avenue, not the. They don't leapfrog around, do they?
1: No, and also the threat type uh, dominant birds um, will hang on the outsides, and so it's got to be big enough that the other birds feel secure and safe to end up in that in that scrub in mm. the middle, um, and it's got lots of hollows in it. And I had a um, clutch of. Hawks bred in there last year, which was pretty exciting.
0: I saw something just hanging around here a minute ago. Yeah,
1: and um, a heap of tawny frogmouth owls. Okay. Um, and so in that little spot that's um, starting to create its own little environment. Um, yeah, so for me, it was, my priority has been ground cover. So after coming through the drought, and um, that was pretty tough getting through 2019, we were on a, less than 25% of our rainfall sort of for three years. Um, and without the irrigation, the trial would have fell over. Um, but um, it was just, that was sort of our saving grace. And we, it was dam water right through until I think about halfway through 2019, we'd managed to get that far. And then we had to go back to the bore which we hadn't used for 15 years. Uh, at mum and dad's place, um, and then we pulled that bore three times because, it, you know, there was just so many different problems. And going back to that and, um, you know, salinity and just all that sort of stuff, you could see the change in that crop um, from that change from the dam water to bore water, um, and that was just something else that reinforced it. But it's just, for me, it was just about getting ground cover and then seeing once we got that ground cover, um that we were starting to get earthworms, you know, that was one of the first visible type things that was obvious. Um, and then, the, the, like I said, the bugs and the birds and just that biodiversity. And it just, people would walk into that the first sort of 12 or 14 um, way multi-species pasture that we planted when it was, had vetch flowers and radish flowers and the likes in it. And people would walk into that and literally just sit down, you know. They'd, the kids would r- just walk out in it and just roll in it. And,
0: and that was in the drought? Yep. Yeah, so that would have been quite the green patch in the yep. oasis. Yeah,
1: yeah. So wow. And it, and you just felt different and I had quite a few people comment on it. You felt calmer and mm. like things were going to be okay I being
0: It was life, was Yeah, it? and that's
1: that's the thing. It was growing and alive.
0: Mm. Yeah. And you've done um, a fair bit of earthworks here. You've done um, natural systems farming, the Towan Park training with Stuart and Peter Andrews. Yeah. How has that kind of influenced your, your thoughts on hydrology? Because I know your father's a, a, a dam builder by trade, amongst mm-hmm. many other things, um, and so he would have had his kind of thoughts on hydrology yep. and history, and then you've pitched up going, oh, there's this other stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how'd that go down?
1: Chains of ponds was such a
0: challenge. <laughs> do you chains want of what? To
1: put little bags, what? <laughs> Everywhere.
0: So you've, you, you've like done contours. you've done some of that here, or you use some of the principles, and there's there's, there's more that you like to do. Understand? Yeah. What, what, have you, what have you What do you think you've with your your work here? What have you? What do you? What have you achieved with that?
1: Um, so one of the first spots that we did was um, a big sort of gutter erosion. There's a hill across the road from me. And interestingly, um, my neighbour and friend, Linda, who's across the road, um, she's started down this journey in the last few years as well. So I'm not getting as much of her runoff now, which is Damn. a bit of it, you know, it helps to fill my dam. <laughs> but um, no, it's fantastic. Um, and it's so good to have someone literally across the road who we lean on the fence and um, at the school bus stop and uh, what are you doing in that paddock now? And it's just so good um, on a regular basis. But, um, yeah, so we, through previous management um, that had been running across there and creating a pretty nasty gutter, um, which kept flying down and then ran through on the bottom side of um, my nice little patch of scrub I'm pr- trying to preserve and then ran through the bottom of the um, scalded area where we had all the clay exposure. So it was all kind of interlinked, all of that. Um, erosion so we put three banks um, where the water then weaves down and it holds um, in each bank like we've got it at a level where each bank will hold the water and I've planted pyrograss and um, pangola in those and then they've just done their own thing there's all sorts of stuff there now Um, and they hold enough water that I can water cattle in there for a uh, while after rain they're not the little um, shallow banks, swale-type banks that you do more commonly with the natural sequence farming, which is what will go in um, further down. Mm. Um, And that's just to keep holding. We've got pretty good ground cover here now, but it's just to keep to um, really ramp up that hydrology. Um, I don't get much runoff off these top paddocks now, um, but I... I'm itching now to get leaky weirs in, down in all my different little creeks and anabranch branch type scenario that's running into those, um, or they I guess, gutters running into the creeks that have been eaten back over the years, but it's what's feeding in off my paddocks. It's not the actual creeks themselves. And just to start holding all of that up, um, when we rebuilt the dam, we put a uh, wing wall on it, um, which ended up and created a wetland in there. Um, we just were trying to get it back um, to more of that coolabar type um scrub that it would have been originally, it's become a fairly um, brigolo predominant in there through clearing and regrowth and so that's allowing it to now do its own thing and um, you could see there today that's sort of changing over, there's a big heap of cooler bars coming up on the sides and the brigolos have thinned out a bit there where they've got wet feet which was um, the intention and Heaps of different diversity is just – I've put paragraphs and the likes in there but um, to get ground cover and stop that erosion, but everything else is just coming of its own accord now. So as Hamish says, give it the – and you guys say, give it the um, – enable it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Give it basically. some love.
1: Give it the opportunity to let it come.
0: So I guess basically where you've got the – where you've created a wetland there, I mean there would have been a series of wetlands all through this system, yep. wouldn't there? Over once um,
1: upon a time. Once upon a time.
0: Before oh. it was farmed, and then the, the water just kind of we, we created a really, really effective drainage system, isn't it, yeah. to and, drain it out? So.
1: And with all those levee banks, so this block had been levee banked pretty much all the way around it to try and block the water up and redirect it um, when they were farming it all way back when. Um, so where holes have washed in the levee banks now, we've just um, let them go, and they're just creating their own little ecosystems where it's actually dug out holes um they're little water holes now um so yeah just allowing nature sitting back taking a bit of a sit back approach we might me by nature and certainly my father were more inclined to want to you know get in and remodel stuff and push push it along um but I very much have learnt to sit back and try and let Nature do its thing and just help it along. Um, in more recent years, mm, and it's quite satisfying.
0: Is um, what's the sort of you had um, some of the some of the guys at the um, Central Queensland Landscape Alliance that yep. the, the course yesterday? Do you want to give them a plug and kind of talk about? I mean, there's, there was a great mob there over the weekend, and a few are sort of not far from here, a few further further afield. But there's um, you've got. You know, building a reasonably mm. diverse community of people here.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's quite exciting at the moment. I think we're um. The industry at a whole is at a tipping point, which is exciting. We um, So Dale, who's the chair of um, uh, CQLA, Central Queensland Landscape Alliance, um, he's said the same thing sort of when they moved into this district. He felt like a bit of an alien and quite isolated with what he was doing and, you know, letting stuff... Flower. Uh, he's he's got a road that splits his property, so everyone drives through his property and observes everything he's doing. Did done. you see what Dale's done? Yeah, he's let all those <laughs> white flowers go to <laughs> see that. Bloody of parthenium, and meanwhile Classic. it was turnip. Oh. <laughs> he planted radishes.
0: Someone reports him to the ladies. Yeah, waities. he did.
1: He got reported, and it was oh, radishes. No, classy. will um, learn
0: them.
1: Yeah, so it's That's quite, funny. it's quite amusing. But um, <laughs> so all of this, this weird stuff that we're doing, you know, we, and and I'm not alone. There's other friends of mine and that around the valley, but we all slowly. Um, one, it's a case of finding your tribe and you've been out, not outcast but you feel like you're a bit outcast isolated you pick you, you pick who you're talking to and what you're talking about and instead of just being able to have open conversations. So, um, and that's what these workshops are fantastic for is connecting us up. Um, all the weirdos and, um, we can all (laughs) be be weird together. Um, but yeah, so CQ LA, they kicked that off about nine months ago and it was just kind of by default a little bit. So uh, one or two people with similar interests not friends which I think is actually the fantastic and why it's moving at the pace it's moving and um, and uh, and the group seems to be so collective um, and um, so basically they're just they're a group that's enabling locally um, here to me um, sort of focusing on central Queensland but there's no limitation to that but they're just enabling um, And bringing together speakers, workshops, um, working with the hosts, trying to get some funding to make them a bit cheaper, whether they can, Um, and and they're enablers for um, sharing of information, and whether that be by bringing up speakers or presenters or field days or workshops, Um, so that's the purpose of the group. And they're already up after just nine months. They're up to 55 members and um, cool. and it's rolling along really nicely. And it has a really lovely, positive vibe with the people that are in it and um, and I guess running it. Um, and they're... Um, just very open to conversation, um, and that 's the beauty of it um, and and it does unfortunately, any of those groups do come down to the people that are running them and within them um, as to how successful they 'll be and I think it 's just got the right people that found each other at the you know points in time and um, so it's really exciting because they've got, we've got um, Stuart Andrews um, coming up to do a workshop next month, and then they've got two more follow- uh, t- before the end of the year. Um, so we're just we're all um, information learning junkies. <laughs> I always have been, I guess. But um, it's so good to see the number of other people that are coming on board. And over the weekend, it was a lot of fresh faces for me. Um, you know, from we had from Bundaberg to nearly to Roma with that group. Mm. Yeah, so it was it was um, great. It descended on a little place near Billiwilla,
0: and. Um- if people want to know more about them, is there a website? Is there we can put stuff in the show notes? Is yep, there con- on, ha- on
1: Facebook? Facebook, um, yeah, yep, definitely find them on there under CQLA.
0: Yeah, Central yep. Queensland Landscape, Landscape Alliance. Alliance. Yep. Facebook um, and Dale's the um, Dale's the president. Yep. He was there yesterday, on the day before. Um, I think that is such a wonderful thing and it's so needed. And I guess one of the things I did ask you about the other day is like, is there a boundary? Like, where do you stop and start? And there isn't. Central Queensland's a pretty large area. Yeah. So it's pretty safe it's gone. Pretty, yeah, I think so. <laughs> throw a load well, in
1: um, It'll be for people, you know, it's not beneficial to them if they're beyond that because they're not going to be able to get to the workshops no. or whatever. So it'll it'll self-limit itself, I think.
0: So get on there, I reckon, everyone. Um, Sheree, I'm just looking at the time. We are two and an and a quarter. Um, not quite Terry McCoskey length, but um, certainly worthy of splitting into two parts. Um, so we will be having a bit of a chat. I'm going to go and drain the spuds for the 20th on today. I don't know, with all my... What's this, what's this again? Autophagy. Autophagy you going on. I don't know what's been. going on. Maybe <laughs> it's just getting the good vibes and the and the good food we've been having for the last couple of days. Um, and we'll do our little Patreon chat. Yep. And I understand you joined up yesterday. Yep. Good for you. While, while we were, what? While we uh, were making, compl- yeah, when, Yes, when you should have been focusing on the course. You were, but that was fine. <laughs> if there's anything you can be distracted by, it's signing up to Patreon. So you too can join Cherie um, on our Patreon membership. We are between seasons. Actually, when you hear this, we won't be between seasons, will we? No, you'll be, you'll be into it. So you'll be getting monthly, um, for those who do join, monthly webinars with myself and a guest, and sure you will be one of our guests, I've um, no doubt, at one of our monthly webinars, um, a weekly update video from me, um, transcripts of all the, website, of the, of the um, interviews, and this Q&A little session, which we're going to do now in a minute, um, you'll get that too, which is only available to our Patreon members and other stuff will be happening along the way as we pull our finger out and give more and more value. Um, Shri. that's been incredible. I, I had the primer over the last couple of days of our chats about your, your life and history and um, your, I guess, I dare I say, motivations for change and, you know, your health challenges and, you know, um, many things along the way that has got you to this point. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate the time. It was thank you for hosting um, with Tish and Mark, your mum and dad over there um, okay. at their house, they're, they're probably just down the road. Um, and wonderful to share your experiences and capture those, and and um, and honour to to hear that, and and um and for our listeners to be part of that as well. So yeah. thank you so much for that. And we'll um we'll yeah. get into our Q and A in a minute. Um really appreciate the time. And I reckon we'll have to split this into two.
1: <laughs> and the journey continues. The journey.
0: There? That's right. There'll head, be there'll be head. another one.
1: Yeah, and head down the, you know, probably a new path um, next year with the holistic veterinary stuff. So,
0: of watch course. Space. I yeah. didn't ask you about that actually. But for those who, when I find out, that was one of my questions. What are your, one of your projects? So I'm just going to bait everyone now. <laughs> bait them with one minute. Okay. 30 seconds actually. Just make it really short and sweet.
1: Yep. So um, I took, obviously, have taken a bit of a break, a hiatus um, from the veterinary stuff after being a bit burnt out with it all and just a little bit disillusioned with being a pharmacist, essentially, Um, and obviously everything that you've heard. But I have kept um, a few clients on board and they tend to be um, livestock clients and they tend to be my clients that um, have an interest in these similar fields and um, looking after their animals better. And more and more questions have been coming my way. We've sat down and done some multi-species pasture planning um, for the purpose of the cattle um, and their health and their benefits and just looking at how we can um, look after the livestock that we have in our care better. And that's going to come right down to looking at breeding programs, how we're doing all of that, what the nutrition needs to be, what the soil's doing, what our plants are doing, and just a holistic sort of approach to prevent Preventative. I can't even say it. Mm. Preventative veterinary medicine, um, so that we don't, or we get to that point of needing treatment less and less. That's my um, hope um, for everybody who has livestock, and that when it does get to a point of treatment, that we have um, options that are natural first, and but we always have that fallback of our modern medicine, you know, where necessary because it, it certainly does have its place. As I much know. as I'd love to be um, everything natural and holistic. There is a point, you know, like you said the other day, when you chop your leg off, you're probably going to want
0: antibiotics. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or some big stitches. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and some blood transfusion. Yeah,
1: yeah so um, so yeah, it's a work in progress um, mm-hmm. and um, I should be ready to roll with that next year.
0: Well, if you want to know more about that before next year, then you'll have to sign up to Patreon. Um, sure <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much. We'll catch up in five minutes and um, I hope you enjoyed that and sitting here at Cooler Bar has been such a wonderful experience. Thank you.
1: Thank you very
0: much, darling. And next week on The Regenerative Journey, I speak with Walter Jainer. He is a ex-CSIRO scientist, um, well known in the field of uh, carbon sequestration, methane, um, uh, biology, pretty much anything that's got science attached to it, he knows so much about. Um, started at a young age. Uh, we caught up in, uh, in the Canberra, the National Botanic Gardens there in Canberra where he had a bit to do with when he's, his early days as a student a university student and um, so glad I finally got up with, with, with Walter, he's a busy man but he gave me a um, good couple of hours of, of his time and I really appreciate it um, and I hope you do too when you can plug into Walter Yana's interview next week on The Regenerative Journey.
2: podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to